Hey folks, this is, uh, this is Jay Lights. Welcome to Null Point. This is our new theme song, and here's Cedric, who's with me. Yep. I, yep. I still don't know how you expect us to top the theme song. <laughs> well, fortunately, the theme song's going away now. We've had enough of the theme song. Was that was that too loud, everybody? Apologies if it was. Um, we're still kind of getting used to this. That was uh, Dusky Sky by Tom Adam, who's very graciously allowed me to use the song for the uh, for the intro. So yeah. I am super excited about that because I love that song so much. I could listen to it for forever, but I don't. And now we're going to put back the chill hop, if it's on. There, there we goes. go. Yeah, the chill hop. You got to have... chill for the hop. The, t- <laughs> the chillity, chillity, chillity hop. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we don't have a camera today because I decided I don't want a camera for this. <laughs> so anybody, anybody who's watching like or listening on a podcast is like, well, of course there's not a camera, you nimrod. But we do stream this live on Twitch. So Why haven't you figured out how to inlay visual signals on audio so that people just hallucinate whenever you start a podcast? That sounds like it'd be a real skill. If I could figure it out, I'm pretty sure I could monetize that. Yeah. Serdane uh, is saying that we're a bunch of nerds. Okay, that's awesome. I'm, I'm kind of used to that. So <laughs> We are nerds. There's no real hiding it. Um, look at those sick graphics from Chrono Fox. Well, thank you very much. Um, those are so. For, again, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, we we apologize. You're not seeing any of this, but um, yeah, we we basically yes. got new branding. So if, if you are listening to the podcast, you've probably seen the logo, and mm. if you can imagine the logo being on a Twitch stream, that's <laughs> pretty much all you're seeing here. So that, and we put viewers' comments on the screen so that people can say mean things if they if they feel the need to. Um, and I'm trying to get my notes lined up properly so that they're eh, no. taking notes on this impromptu podcast. No, no, no. They're my notes of what we're going to talk about. So I've got to be, you know, I got to be ready. Um, Corona Fox, there's also a vapor wavy sunset going on back there. That's true. I don't think that's on our podcast page. Are you ever going to add a visualizer to it? A visualizer to... The, the Twitch page? Yeah. Nah. Nah. Don't, people don't want to watch, have people watch her voices vibrate. What I should do is I should put in that one plugin where like you can watch Pokemon running back, back and forth across the bottom of the screen. <laughs> That'd be a thing. Um, the comment didn't pop up. Uh, Chronofox is asking why the, a comment did not pop up for anybody who's curious. I have to click on the comments to make them pop up during the podcast. During what I'm doing, cause I'd also stream games. When I'm streaming games, they come up automatically because I can't be bothered. But here, I only want to click on them when we're going to talk about them. So Chrono Fox saying, oh, but I'm not going to put that one up just to, you know, confuse people. <laughs> but yeah, um, enough introduction. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going? going. <laughs> I think I got to sleep at five this morning. Okay. Five thirty. Yeah. That's... That's late. Early? What is that? Later early? Both. Both. Why pick one? And it's raining today. Yeah. At least it's sprinkling out here in Missouri as we're looking through the window. This is the other great thing about us not having a camera is I can open all the windows and not worry about lights and things of that nature. And it doesn't really help the podcast to have a camera on anyway. So, But... At least so far. Because one of these days if we decide to do it like as a YouTube thing where we do actually have video... We'll have to get a camera on you too. Oh, that's are you ready for thought. that? Are you ready for that? <laughs> I don't think you are. So yeah, 
I don't think I've even streamed with camera on Twitch. No, I don't think you have. I don't think you have. Not in the slightest. So, oh, that's actually my first bullet point here. I'm I'm being really organized because like the first thing I was putting is that I'd set Heresy. up the set up the darned podcast. So, I mean, if you're one of the people who is listening to this on the podcast apps, you know that this has already been pushed out to the podcast apps. But for those watching on Twitch, uh, it's been pushed out to the podcast app. So you can go grab it on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon at the moment. There's a bunch of other ones that I may start pushing out to as well. We've also got our own site, but I don't remember the domain name because I want to get a custom domain name and we don't have one yet. So don't worry about that too much. Just, you know, the website isn't important yet. You can move that bubble wrap if you, there's bubble wrap on the table that are you going to pop it in front of the mic and just like, Oh yeah. See, there's the good stuff. We're doing ASMR now, everybody. <laughs> oh man. Oh, so has got some news for us. We can go into the, the news ish though. We're, we're kind of dropping the idea of sections. We don't really have a news section. It's just, if there's news, we'll talk about it as, yeah. as it comes up. But Sudan coming up with a comment here, um, new expansion for surviving Mars coming out in three days, which I was not aware of. I'm a, I'm a fan of surviving Mars. So that's cool. Underground expansion and asteroid mining looks pretty sick. Can't wait. Can't wait to wait two weeks for my mods to update. <laughs> Sudan's big into using mods. So, uh, yeah. Likes those unstable experiences. Yes, yes, he does. You, you <laughs> I thought it was comfortable. Cedric is wasn't. trying to get comfy. It's rough over there. Uh, that actually sounds really cool. I'm glad that they're doing underground expansion makes a lot of sense. I keep thinking that, like, when we eventually do get to Mars, that using the underground makes sense because, you know, it's kind of like right there. Yeah. Um, asteroid mining is one of those things that I think has been talked about more lately since I forget what the probe was that was able to land on an asteroid, but I think that's gotten people's imaginations going. Um, a bit, but like from what I remember, there's not exactly a whole lot of material stuff on asteroids. Yeah. It's mostly just like carbon and water, right? Well, it depends on the asteroid, but I think the bigger question is why would you land on the small rock when you can land on the really big one called mm -hmm. Mars? Um, but there could be reasons, and I'm not averse to like simulating it. I think that's a cool idea. I think so. in most sci-fi that I've seen where they actually do like asteroid mining, it's more like you don't land on the asteroid, you break it apart and then like feed it into something yeah. so you're using the entire body. Well, it depends on... Because the problem with asteroid mining is... In real life, asteroid mining would definitely be more like mining. Like the asteroids you can actually see and land on are usually kilometers upon kilometers across. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like you're not going to break one of those up. But also in space, you can't really do standard mining because any little particle of debris that gets launched into space is going to be a problem later on. So you have to keep everything contained. Well, that might not be true with asteroids. I mean, it is true if you're talking about something that's orbiting a planet because it might intersect with other orbital planes that exist around that planet. But if you're talking about an asteroid that's coming in from like interstellar space, for example, that'd be going really fast. But if you're talking about an asteroid, maybe in the asteroid belt, just to use uh, an example. It's still more debris cloud. to calculate, though. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. I wouldn't be too worried about it. I mean, it's not its not something that's a huge deal. And this is why we don't trust Jay to set up an asteroid mining operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got a good point. Um, Sardane has a comment about this as well. The asteroid mining is pretty cool, actually. You build a 
rocket-propelled buildings. Oh, you build rocket-propelled buildings and send them to the asteroids, and you can actually swap maps over to the asteroid and control rovers and the buildings to mine resources. Okay, that is really cool. And you have a limited window of time before you have to pack up and send your stuff back to your colony Mars side. Otherwise, you'd be too far away. I would have to agree. So, yeah, that's... Uh, and you've already overflowed my awesome graphic I have on Twitch here. Like, I have a, a specific amount of space for comments, Serdane, and you've just overdone it. <laughs> yeah, man. But that's a good comment. Serdane's um, <laughs> like, lol, sorry. <laughs> so, no, that's not a big deal. Again, um, we, we do run these things live for anybody who's listening on the podcast. It's... Um, uh, the username is jlights on Twitch, at least at the moment. J-A-E-L-I-G-H-T-S. Come and look me up. And you can watch these things live if you'd like. You gotta love how you have to spell your username on Twitch because both of the words can be spelled multiple ways. Yeah, it could be, you know, J-L-I-T-E-S. <laughs> it's like, that's a weird way to spell it. But yeah, jlights, J-A-E-L-I-G-H-T-S. At some point, we might just have to see if we can get the null point username because that's the name of the podcast. But yeah, I think you can just change your Twitch name to it. I could, but I'm not going to. I could get a channel that is specifically for this, but we'll see. Mm. Regardless, I'm glad that you bring up Surviving Mars. I'm really big into space games, and I've enjoyed Surviving Mars. So having some more content for that, especially Surviving Mars, isn't a space game. It is a space game. You're in space. No, you're on Mars. Yeah, but that's still in space. We'll have to talk about this Look, later. Look, technically speaking, like, Rome Total War is also a space game because it's also in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Half-Life happened in space. Not yeah. even just the end of it, but, like, all of it. Anyway, the point... Well, the end of it wasn't in space. That was in, in a different dimension. So that you don't true. know if, if it's it space It may or, or may not be space. Who, who even knows what that is? It could be anything. Um... And Serdane continuing to bring us the hard-boiling news of uh, surviving Mars. The underground spaces are so large that you actually build domes under there, and you can build all the standard buildings, as well as special underground-only ones. Uh, you're shielded from the surface hazards, but have to worry about cave-ins and earthquakes. Indeed. Indeed you would need to. So that's probably enough surviving Mars news for one day. <laughs> but if, you, if you're listening to this you haven't played Surviving Mars, give it a shot. It is a great game. I really enjoy it. It's a good city builder that is set on Mars and you got to deal with all the, they try to keep it realistic. You've got to deal with a lot of the problems you'd have to deal with if you were actually trying to colonize Mars, just, you know, in game format. So yeah, the big thing I'd wanted to complain about first in all of this. Oh, I need to show off my sounds actually before I go to complain. Anything. I've got new sounds, more housekeeping stuff. <laughs> oh no. I mean, that's, that is the <laughs> mood right now. <laughs> so awkward. I'll get better at this eventually. <laughs> and then one of the other, what's the other? Oh yeah, we've got the horn strike. We've got the good old fashioned um, rim shot. Yeah. That you one takes a while. You don't feel like you can talk during that one. It's like, hmm, we've just had a... Need a moment of contemplation. Hmm, right. You're right, the Illuminati do work with the Federal Disaster Administration. Which is what the FDA actually is. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's not. That's definitely not the Food and Drug Administration. Serdane <laughs> thinks this is. <laughs> oh, no. That is actually more how I would laugh than, than Krona, except for I don't have that voice, obviously. But uh, uh, what are the other sounds? We've got an improved cricket sound for when I tell bad jokes. And. This is the shiny sound. So when we have Krona come back, talk about shinies again, that's the shiny sound. So that's the good stuff. That's our six sounds we've got. 
who's doing the oh no it sounds like julie chrono fox is mentioning julie who's another twitch streamer quite good <laughs> oh no <laughs> it's the sound i found on splice it's quite good but yeah those are the sounds that we've got now and mainly today the first thing i wanted to talk about was i wanted to complain <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the entire podcast, just complaining. Yeah, I think for the most part, that's what I do, is try and whine about things as much as humanly possible. Behringer is what I want to complain about. This is music stuff, which is a little bit different from what we normally do, but I, I bought a Behringer because I do... So I've been recording music for um, Painter's Pets, which is the game Sedgwick is working on. And or, <laughs> Working is a strong term. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one game. And I have a Behringer... But I got a, uh, an 1820. It's just something that you plug instruments into and it plugs into my recording device. And I bought it and it was working fine for a little while. But then it started hissing and popping and crackling and I actually recorded a track for the game, sent it over to Sedgwick and I was listening to it back and I was like, oh man, it's it's hissing and clicking and ah. Gonna be real honest, I wasn't able to pick out any of it. Well, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I get really sensitive on that stuff. So I ended up having to like, I'm gonna have to return it and I ended up getting something else. The reason I'm mad is mainly because I bought it to save money. And I was thinking to myself like, I am so smart. I've bought a thing that is cheaper and sounds just as good. Yeah, right? Just as good for two uses. Yeah, just as good for a little while. And then it turns out, actually, I was listening to the... Anyway, it doesn't even sound doesn't even sound as good. I compared them. Even without the hisses and the pops and the clicks and the crackles. Uh, so I ended up getting an audience that goes with my other audience. And now they're all one big happy family. And I'm just embarrassed that I spent the money and the time. But uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, you got to have that peak audio quality so that you can put filters over it. <laughs> Look, if you don't start with, if you don't take good stuff in, then when you filter out stuff, you it's not good. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, some way. Yeah, I've got to have the highest recording quality I possibly can for chiptunes. Because yeah. chiptunes are known for having incredibly high fidelity and nuance to the sound. Yep. <laughs> I at least don't want the pops and the clicks. <laughs> so that's good. That's fixed. So, yeah. Not a very big topic, but I just wanted to complain so that you all could hear what my problems are with Behringer, apparently. <laughs> you know, when you put that note up there, I was trying to figure out who Behringer was. Oh. And, w like, what thing were you watching? What sport did you get into where they bought a bad piece of equipment and then died? <laughs> Behringer died is the note. <laughs> no, it's not a sport. It's, it's a company. That's funny, though. Yeah, Behringer actually has a bit of a reputation because they, they take a lot of classic pieces of music gear, um, old synthesizers and, and things like that, and they make cheaper versions of them. Uh, the, probably the most famous example is the old Moog synthesizers, which probably most people aren't familiar with, but the Beatles used to use them, and they're very popular in the synth community. Usually cost you about three thousand um, when you're buying them new because they they're not always making them. But when they are, they cost about three thousand dollars, and you can get a knockoff from Behringer for about three hundred. It sounds really pretty close, and for some reason that really pisses people off. <laughs> it's like, how dare you? It's like, look, I think that's maybe proof that maybe Moog could sell their synth for a third of the price because it does sound better. It's just that I don't know. I'm sure there's reasons, but. Uh, Behringer gets a lot of flack, and I was like having to work past that flack mentally, my my preconceived notions, I was having to work past all of them to even buy a Behringer, and then it let me down. 
Yeah, I, I have a theory that you uh, didn't get past all of your preconceived notions and sabotaged the device. Look, <laughs> I just jammed a screwdriver into it. This doesn't work, especially if I start jamming a screwdriver into it. <laughs> I don't know why, but it has some really odd sound quality issues when I hit it with a hammer. It's, yeah. it's strange. No, I was nice to it, and I was gonna, and I was actually trying to account for my lack of objectivity by just being like, "Well, just use it, and if nobody complains or you can't really hear any problems, and let it go." But then it was popping and crackling, and I could definitely hear it, and I couldn't. I don't know why you can't. Like that's weird. I'd have to go through the recording and like show you where it's popping. I think. I yeah, I probably could hear it. It so part of it is that it was chip tuned. Oh so, yeah, true. Like the tones are so yeah. prominent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. The other thing is just I didn't know the song, so I didn't know what to actually True. listen for. True. I'd have to point out. See, that that pop there wasn't intended. Mm. It helped that I was here testing it on other sounds as well that were far cleaner. Yeah. So I could actually hear the pops more easily. Ah, music stuff. Well, I'm going to try to talk about music a little bit more here and there on, on the podcast, but mostly in context, 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 whatever that is, context of gaming and such and whatnot. So... We need to talk about music more, but the first thing we're going to talk about actually has nothing to do with music because it's Magic the Gathering. That has nothing to do with video games either. Yeah, it's games though. Technically, there's a video game version. True. And plus, it kind of led to a lot of mechanics you see in games, which I think... Did we talk about that last week? I think we did talk about that. Was that last week or the week before? Like screaming about it or something. People were being killed, you know. Pretty much. It was bad. So what's, what's the news? This is your news. Uh, so I got into a conversation with a friend the other night about uh, how different rules in Magic the Gathering work, and they dropped the bomb that uh, Wizards of the Coast has decided that they're no longer supporting a pro scene on the tournament level. Boo. I looked up a little bit more information about it. It sounds like they're trying to transition to something else, but they still canceled the, like they said, we're not doing another pro tournament league. Really? Like ever? And they said, we're trying to shift over to a new form of pro level game, but they didn't announce any of it. So all we know is that the, after this year, the current system is going away. So, huh. And because when you'd first said it to me, I thought that for some reason in my head, I thought this was like a COVID thing and like yeah. they couldn't really do it in person for even though but like they, they, they transitioned to online tournaments and then they're shutting those down now too. weird. I wonder why uh, it sounds like they're trying to restructure the way it works. And one of the articles talked about how the pro tournaments aren't getting that much press, hmm. But they're still seeing the game rise a lot in popularity due to streaming. So it sounds like they might be trying to transition Mm. from having a pro scene that they're sponsoring and like making a spectacle of to just being like invested in streamers. Fair enough. I mean, you don't really have to pick one or the other. I guess you do if it costs a lot of money, though, to to run the pro scene. So the the prize pool for this year's tournaments was a million dollars total. That's... And that's not covered by entry fees or anything like that? I don't know. Maybe they don't have entry fees. <laughs> well, these were also like sponsored tournaments. Apparently, there for a while, uh, some of the players were being sponsored. So mm. they, they were getting a consistent salary to be good at playing Magic the Gathering. Interesting. And it's causing a bit of an uproar in the community because it massively detracts from the people that want to be good at the game like there's not as much of a reason anymore because it's not a career it's a entrepreneurship Mm. 
Because, yeah, streaming on Twitch is a very different activity than playing in a tournament. Yeah. Personality at that point, mm-hmm. which is why my channel's doing terribly. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, it's a very different skill. Yeah. Running a Twitch channel. So that's interesting. That, that, that should... That would remove a lot of high-level play, you'd think. Yeah. Do you think uh, people will just start organizing their own tournaments? Well, it, that's the other thing that one of the articles talked about was that they were going to focus more on local tournaments than on like national scale tournaments. Okay. So it might not be as big of a hit as people are making it out to be because there's still going to be tournaments going on. Mm. Well, but it, it'll be interesting because there for a long time, like local game stores. Um, were kind of propped up by Magic the Gathering tournaments. Like, that was a big entry into uh, board game sales and stuff like that, if you're a Magic judge. Because that was the whole... Yeah, and that was the whole idea with uh, Magic the Gathering in general. Because it it kept a lot of game stores alive simply because people would show up for the tournament and then they'd buy stuff. And it might not even be Magic the Gathering stuff, you know? So I'm kind of curious how that'll go because it it feels like that's kind of leaving... A lot of these stores in the lurch. And while it, it sounds like they have a lot of local tournaments planned and a lot of mid-scale tournaments, not having that top-tier uh, play-here-to-win-big tournament, it mm. kind of shuts down the notion of this is a career. Yeah. I guess because Twitch kind of becomes a career. I don't know if that's a smart move because it feels like, it feels like if you're trying to rely on the idea of the twitch scene the, mm-hmm. the big issue is like if you're a big enough streamer you don't have to keep doing magic the gathering there are right. other card games and people are there for your personality if you can give them a sufficient enough reason a lot of folks will stick around provided you're big enough if you're kind of a smaller time streamer like between maybe zero and 150 it doesn't work so well but then again if you've made all of your money off of streaming magic the gathering you're already kind of ingrained in the culture that it sets forth i got true, friends that just refuse to hear anything bad about Magic the Gathering because they've put so much time into it. I, I agree, but the, kind of the point I'm making is part of the investment for a lot of players would have to be those tournaments, right? Like you're trying to get yeah. really good and you have to learn how to be really good because if you're not really good, you're not going to be successful at tournaments. But you can be successful as a streamer without being good at the game. Yeah, And it's not too difficult if you're big enough. If you're sufficiently big enough, it's not too hard to switch. Like look at Asmongold switching over to Final Fantasy fourteen. I mean, you have to be, again, sufficiently big. But that had a humongous impact on Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not like, you know, going to be the end of WoW sorts of big like a lot of people talk like, but it is a big impact. And I feel like trying to put your destiny in the hands of people who don't really have to be that invested in your system to be successful, because you don't, since you don't have to be good, you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours necessarily learning how to do this thing you know yeah but uh last time that we talked about magic i also point out that it's not necessarily about winning it for magic even when they're advertising cards and stuff they put as much work into the lore of the cards as they do into the mechanics Mm. they market this game to five distinct demographics of people that they think covers everyone Mm. and that's part of the reason why it's a bit more of a thing than just a card game yeah well, we'll have to see. <laughs> I guess I guess we'll find out. We'll find out who is right and who is dead. To quote the Princess Bride. I mean, if magic wants to die, I can think of plenty of other games that should uh, definitely take the place. Yeah, what was the one that we were talking about last week? I mean, there, there the one, were a the, lot. But. The one with the obnoxiously long name. 
Rise of the Phoenix, yeah. something, something, Ashes, something. Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix board. Yeah. I have like four separate games that mm-hmm. are all some variation of Ashes, Phoenix, something or the other. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? It's a very popular title. Mm, now, this kind of shifts us over to, I wanted to talk a little bit about how, well, talk, we've talked a little bit about how this might affect local stores. Mm. Um, we have one nearby Metagames, which is apparently doing fairly well, you said. I haven't been there for a while because... I don't know how they're actually doing financially, but they... They, they bought new tables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, prior to the whole COVID thing, they had... Um, uh, and they still have a back area where like war gamers and the magic tournaments are held. And it previously just had a bunch of the $10 plastic stand-up tables. Yeah. And as they've gone through the years, they've been slowly replacing them with more and more, um, you know, fancier tables. They've got some that are uh, epoxy dice. So it's Ooh. just littered with dice and you can never find it if you roll on it. <laughs> Um, but the, the new ones they put in are just uh, simple wood tables with uh, Magic the Gathering decals on them. Mm. It's all very nice. And so you don't you don't kick the the brace underneath the table yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's the big thing. the uh, The dice tables are actually the worst because it's not in uh, the brace isn't in the middle of the table. It's like on the sides of it. So if you're sitting mm. at the end of the table, it is right at the joint between <laughs> your kneecap. Ouch. <laughs> That's not fun at all. So it's good to see that they seem to be doing well, at least. So hopefully that's... Yeah, they took the time during the pandemic to get new sets of furniture. So I can only assume they're doing okay. I know their Facebook page has been popping off. So a lot of people there who are like, no, we won't lose our... People kind of rally around these places where you do things in person. You know, you, I yeah. guess you don't know what you have till it's gone, something like that. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, Vern? Yeah. I mean, Cedric... <laughs> It's a very, very old reference, that one. My name one. definitely isn't Vern. It's do, not do Vern. Do not look up Vern. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it, folks. Just don't let it be a thing that you do. Let's see. So that's metagames. And the next thing to talk about is... Apparently we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about space. Do we, have, we don't have a sound for space, do we? Is that space? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> not really very spin no i don't think so so no we wanted to i want to talk about star citizen mm. which is a game that i've only been learning about recently i haven't played it yet i watched some i have found this is my new pro tool pro pro tool pro trick my suggestion for learning about a game is to not go and read the press about it but to go and watch the, tu- the tutorials for how it starts because they'll teach you like the basics of how to play the game. And I know that doesn't give you like a good long-term view necessarily, but I feel like if you're looking at an intro video for a game, like a 30-minute intro video where it shows all the basic things you need to do, yeah. and that seems confused and complicated and dumb, a lot of the game tends to be confused and complicated and dumb. Because if you can't get the beginning right, eh. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I generally agree with that sentiment. I try and avoid press for any game that I'm actually interested in. Not so much because I'm worried about spoilers, but because press has a way of creating a hype train that just doesn't ever end Mm. well. Yes, I would have to agree with that. Friggin' hype trains. I mean, can we think of at least 10 games that... (laughs) Can you think of at least 10 games that have had that problem? I mean, there's so many. Yeah. 
you know, Cyberpunk 2077 and No Man's Sky are two of my favorite punching bags, and that happened to both of them. So, yep. and there are many, many, many more. To catch up with chat really quick, we've got Serdane mentioning that The Witcher 3 with both DLCs for 10 bucks. Apparently he's going to get a hold of that. So, I mean, if you don't have it, sure. <laughs> I mean, you, why would you buy it if you did have it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I guess if you don't have the DLCs. Oh, I see, I see. Um, it says Witcher 3 with both DLCs. Yeah. I'm assuming all of that's for 10 bucks. I don't know. But uh, that's going to be dated information. So if you're going on Steam right now, and this podcast was more than a couple days ago, we only we only do up-to-the-minute stuff around here. You know what I mean? So Star Citizen, which is what we were, had been complaining about, I'm not super familiar with it. All I know is I watched the intro to it, and I was like, wow, these folks are really trying to be realistic-ish. Mm-hmm. But then I started reading into like how it had started as a Kickstarter, and there were things that had oh, been yeah. like promised. I, every time I hear about Star Citizen, I am still baffled that it is ongoing and still gaining support. Now, what's interesting to me is you apparently put money into it when it was a Kickstarter, right? It yeah. was it was so long ago that back then you were actually interested in space games. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> during a phase where I was like, "Hey, space is cool. Space is fun. Um, Seducate space now. <laughs> just hates it so much. Well, I hate everything now. So. <laughs> just throw it on the list. Uh, now I, I have uh, specific complaints that I'm sure we'll get to about the space genre uh, that I. Honestly, it took me a long time to figure out. We could complain about it now if you want to, because I don't think we have a lot of stuff going on here. Well, I was going to go over space. the go for it. Kickstarter stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, Kickstarter. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like 2012. 2012, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that the world even existed back then. No, it died that year. Did it? I thought it died in 2019, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the culture. It's true. So 2012, um, a simpler time. Yeah, like I was all the way back in high school. <laughs> wow. And there was a lot of buzz about this new game that you could uh, sign up for the Kickstarter and then you would get a executable that you could run. It had like still a command line logins and installation. Ooh. And then it was a space game. Nerdy. And you could fly around in it. Ooh. And it was in space? supposed to be fun and in interesting. Space. And I downloaded it and they didn't have the servers up when I did it and then I forgot about it and never... <laughs> <laughs> actually went back to it because turns out that uh, flying around aimlessly in space is uh, boring. Yeah. Especially you gotta find your own point, Cedric. There's nothing out there. This is what you're always telling what me about. What am I supposed to find always, in empty space? What you're always telling me about Minecraft. You gotta make your own fun, you know? <laughs> Minecraft, you have blocks. It's Legos. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I think about um, making your own fun in the space game and I think about how Elite Dangerous, you can go to the... They've got web pages that have, like, heat maps of where everybody's flying. Because mm-hmm. it's a rough mapping of the actual uh, galaxy that we are in, the Milky Way galaxy. And they'll do heat maps. And every now and then, somebody gets bored and decides to just write something on the heat map. So they get a group of people together, and they'll write a word. Often, you know, things that I can't say in public. Um, recently, they drew a picture of Grumpy Cat. It's nice. pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Pretty detailed stuff. I was excited about that. <coughs> So yeah, making your own fun can can go uh, go a lot of different ways. Uh, and Serenian is also saying that you need to find your own fun. To which I think, if, if I could respond on your behalf, because this is what I generally say when people tell me to find my own fun vis-a-vis games, I say, I, I am. That's why I'm going to play a different game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find that fun you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I To be clear, I, I love space aesthetic, and uh, I 
really want to enjoy space games, but when it comes down to it, um, the gameplay from space-themed games falls into either it's not actually a space game. It has the aesthetics of it, but it's more dungeon crawler or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, or, is it... Uh, I almost said Dead Cells. What's the Dead Space? What's the one with the, like, the jelly, like, the black uh, amorphous thing is murdering you in the face? It's a shooter. Dead Space is a game, but it's not the one I was thinking of, I don't think. It's the one where, like, they can uh, take over... Prey. Prey, there we go. That's another yeah. Or Alien Isolation. These are all... But Prey is just Bioshock. It, yeah. It's not actually in space. Dead Space is ostensibly in space, but there's very few segments where you're actually doing anything out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more... Uh, a dungeon they're, 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 they're space games in the same way that Rome Total War is a space game. Yeah, like the environment. You know, we're in space. You know, but like you're not space in space. Isn't the environment? You're not in the empty space. And if you are in empty space or traversing across space, it becomes a game about economics or traveling, or possibly building. But then it usually doesn't end well uh, mechanically because it's mm. long periods of doing either something monotonous. Or not doing stuff, which t- like Astroneer was the one you brought up before. Is there, was it Astroneer? Uh, Space Engineers. Space Engineers. Pardon me. That that one's a, a building game, yeah. but ninety percent of the time you will spend in that game is staring at a rock, <laughs> making and sure it doesn't move. The other ten percent is picking up the rocks that you broke off of the big rock by staring at it, <laughs> and that's all the fun you need, man. It's it's interesting. Sci-fi is. Um, the theming can like, be really cool, but it's it's the hard. The theming to, is that, you, and you had this problem with with cyberpunk. The theming is anything is possible. Technology yeah. has gone to the point where anything is possible. Well, if I could put on my nerd glasses, sci-fi is supposed to be about things that are theoretically possible based on current understandings of scientific principles. Sci-fi fantasy is what cyberpunk is, because there's no real way that we know of to do like ninety percent of the stuff happening in that game. As, in terms of high tech stuff, look, Cedric. One of the big points of that game is that there's an AI that you can download your brain into to to become immortal. Like we have no idea how to do that. I'm telling you right now. But classic sci-fi also had no idea how to do the stuff. It was all speculative and usually based off of bad science. Well, but it, this this argument's been going on for a long time. Um, Star Wars is not sci-fi, for example. A lot of people think that uh, it is. I'm it's not sci-fi talking fantasy, about but even Star, Star Trek. I'm, I'm talking about like the original novellas. Oh, like way back in the day? Yeah. But it was based off of speculation. They were talking was... about taking hot air balloons to Mars. Yeah, but at the time, <laughs> that made sense. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't think it serves to be like well it has to be technically possible like surely it's always an exercise in imagination i think to an extent yes i think that if you want to go for the purest sci-fi you possibly can it needs to be based off of things that are at least theoretically possible you know like the force is not theoretically possible i'm sorry lightsabers are not theoretically possible i'm sorry actually they are i don't really like there are people People who people have built lightsaber and 
analogies. But I've seen I've seen the things that they say are lightsabers, and they're nothing like the actual lightsabers. Like, have, have you seen the one that was just a giant blowtorch? That one looks and it, sounds it, a yeah, lot like a lightsaber. It does look a lot like it, but it also can't be powered by uh, by a couple AAA batteries, apparently. <laughs> so, it's not portable. It's it's too hot. It's not as light. Like, there's a zillion things that are wrong with it. Like, lightsabers are not a thing, and I don't think they ever will be. Um, especially because if you read thing, if you read into the lore, <laughs> the way that it's supposed to work is you use a couple of crystals to focus a light source, and it makes Sentient a lightsaber. Sending yeah, see, yeah, we're getting weirder and weirder <laughs> as time goes by. Star Wars is definitely science fantasy, though, um, and I think the the distinction for me is there's not supposed to be a plausible explanation for a lot of the stuff in Star Wars. Yeah, it, it's supposed to be almost a religious context to it mm-hmm. no i agree and that's where i draw the line in in a lot of sci-fi games like cyberpunk it there's nothing in there it's all supposed to be advancement of technology and it all has steps that you can get to there's steps that we don't know how we would do yet i.e artificial intelligence that is sentient but i feel like this just gets into questions about what religion is but eh, true true <laughs> To me, if it's not to me if it's not theoretically possible, or at least trying to be theater- theoretically possible, then I. To be fair, I guess you could you could argue that we already have some amount of computer nervous system interface. So maybe being able to download information straight into your brain is not too far fetched. But uh, I don't know. I mean, from my side of the fence, it is extremely far fetched. But, I, I but say, it's, it's no worse than hot air balloons going to Mars. It's true. And to be fair, like some of my favorite games that would be kind of considered sci-fi, like like Elite Dangerous, that's got a lot of fantasy elements in it. And you run into that a lot with space games yeah. that are about travel because a lot of them don't use wormholes for some reason. Wormholes are theoretically possible and predicted by general relativity. This is why Stargate is the best star uh, show. There you go. That's the best sci-fi show right there. Yeah. It's been proven by this one thing. <laughs> um, whereas things like warp drives and the idea of, of warping space to go through it is not theoretically possible according to any theory that I'm aware of. Uh, actually, it, there is a oh. working engine theory on how to get that. It's been peer-reviewed and they're making advancements on it. They just oh, need really? to figure out how to pr- produce negative energy. You know, to be fair, they have the same problem <laughs> with wormholes. So it's the same issue there. Um, something about creating, you know, stable black holes and yeah. <laughs> using <laughs> using super strings, which is not string theory. Super things and super strings and string theory are different things. But yeah, like there's there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. So, I mean, Star Trek for the most part tries to be realistic, um, but you have things that you have to do for convenience, like the idea of using a teleporter. It's like mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, I just don't. Um, beaming down, I, I don't know. I don't think that'll work. Even if you had a teleporter, you wouldn't want to have to have the material reserves necessary to reconstruct people on a <laughs> ship. Like, that would just be asking for trouble. Well, and plus, we all know that you're just killing them and then making a clone at the destination, right? Which, I mean, uh, I think I'd be fine with that. Then it being, wouldn't be my problem dead? anymore. I can pass my problems <laughs> off to someone being, else. Being murdered 800 times in your life. But, uh, yeah, like, there's, there's several things about... Um, Star Trek that are a little bit kind of off the beaten path, but a lot of the point I was trying to get to is they're usually things that are there for convenience sake. When you're writing a book, you don't have to do that sort of stuff because you can just kind of skip the scene where they're riding on the spaceship down to the surface. But in a TV show, that's, that's not very exciting to watch. It's much more fun to teleport. Yeah. Um, And the same thing's true of a video game. Like I don't think that the way that you travel around in elite dangerous is really possible. Like, maybe on some random far-flung theory, but 
but the game, uh, the game but you need it to get around otherwise it's gonna that take forever much of a stranger to cold cuts either like yeah. fast travel in skyrim there's theoretically the scene where you are just walking to that location mm. in that game yeah but it's a fade to black for the player so but you can't do that in a constantly online game except you can except you can't <laughs> final fantasy 14 doesn't do that all the time anyway <laughs> Um, what are we talking about? I think we we're talking about Star Citizen at one point, weren't we? Yeah. In Broken I, Promises. I, I was getting to something about how I don't like space games. Um, <laughs> so you typically have a lot of elements in the games that either make it into just not taking place in space uh-huh. or you just have vast distances of downtime. Yeah. Um, and... Then I forgot where my point was going because it got derailed. <laughs> oh, who knows? Uh, I'm, something uh, about how um, Cyberpunk 2077 was a sci-fi game, and then once again, I well, the, I the remember. Just I remember the big <laughs> the the big complaint that you've leveled against sci-fi games that are in space is that it's empty. Space is empty. That's the point of space, right? Yeah, and it's kind of counterintuitive to put a game in an empty space like the point of an empty space is merely traversal like there's not much else you can really do with it you can put stuff in it but as soon as you start doing like space mining it's like well but why not just build an actual facility like uh, the idea of blowing up asteroids and then hoovering up what's left is kind of ridiculous um it'd be better to just like yeah if if you were doing that sort of strategy in real life you would come in with a planetary size ship and just envelop the asteroid yeah it'd be like a giant blue whale with krill or something sucking it all in and then like you know shattering it and things like that i'd agree and i feel like the the better thing would be to go to one of the really big asteroids of which there are many and land on it and just mine it like you'd kind of normally mine except for obviously an extremely low gravity yeah um and there's, there's a lot of issues with that. I remember one thing that we both talked about uh, that we both have a problem with with a lot of space games is that their flight dynamics are atmospheric. Oh, I remember the point that I was going to make. Oh, good. Let's do that instead. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me talk about atmospheric flight dynamics anyway. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but in a lot of the open traversal segments of the games and, and a lot of the... And then in Cyberpunk 2077, they both have a common problem of where pretty much everything is supposed to be allowed in the genre because technology is so amazing. Mm. But in science con- is so amazing. In context of how the games actually function, yeah. they usually have some of the most restrictive gameplay involved. Like Cyberpunk mm. 2077 is ostensibly about a world where you can do anything to your body. The game <laughs> won't let you even adjust your character uh, yeah, after how you, you create them. Like, <laughs> uh, and in Boo. Um, Elite Dangerous, you're exploring an entire galaxy and you're going from place to place and you can go faster than the speed of light. For some reason. And you still run out of the fuel and there's no civilization anywhere. <laughs> and Look, you shouldn't <laughs> have been allowed to go faster than the speed of light anyway, so just be grateful. Yeah, but it, it, it's just one of those things where it's like there's all this story gravitas around what you're doing in a lot of space themed games Mm -hmm. and no mechanical gravitas and and that is usually something that i'm looking for in games it's crazy because they get really stuck on ludonarrative dissonance 
but then they don't at the same time. Yeah. So it, it's strange. It's uh, it's it's a weird mix. There's I'm yet to see a, a space game that really seems to hit the balance really well. Like for a little while, I thought that maybe Rebel Galaxy would take care of that, which is still I think a good game, but it's not. It's missing a lot of stuff that I think it could use for realism. And like Void Bastards is probably my favorite space themed game right now, but mm. that is not a space game. That is a dungeon crawler set on spaceships. We need to figure out exactly what what is intended by the phrase space game. I think sci-fi is a much better term just because yeah. space is like, well, space is just empty. Like, what are you playing on? But I mean, Cyberpunk space? 2077 is sci-fi and has nothing to do with space. Well, but I think you can, you can't go into space, but I think Cyberpunk, they have people in space. Oh no. Oh, that would fit for the wait, theme. Wait, 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 wait. Does this mean that I, from what we're talking about, I think what we're going to have to come to as a conclusion is that Saints Row 4 is a space game. Mm. Part of it happens in space. Or is it one of the DLCs? I think that's one of the DLCs. The point is that DLC Although, is in space. I, I, actually, I don't know that I've played Saints Row 4. Saints Row 3. <laughs> you, like, I had to stop and think, because Saints Row 3, you three? start the game by causing the zombie apocalypse. You <laughs> start the game in a gangster-themed game <laughs> by starting the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> and it just scales up from there. They, they gave up on the silly. gangster theme, and that, that, that Saints Row 3 is hysterical. No, I think that one of the things that is difficult about space games is that they are almost of necessity difficult to define. Like, I think a lot of folks who are really big into them um, kind of have a sense. Like, to me, mm. the only things that are really space games are the space trader games because as soon as you're not in a spaceship anymore, you're just on the ground. Yeah. And are you really in space? I mean, Surviving Mars is, like I, I mentioned it before, it's it's a space game. It's not really a space game. I mean, you're on a planet. Yeah. Your planet side. And especially as we go forward and we actually have if people you, who are on other planets and moons in our own solar system, I think you actually have to consider the difference beti- between a planet side game and a space game where you are actually in space. Yeah. Right? So. Because if you took surviving Mars's mechanics and yeah. said, no, this is Earth after global warming happens and nuclear apocalypse and all that, there yeah. would be not much of a difference between the two games. There really wouldn't. It really would. And you could just make that Fallout 5 right there, actually. Yeah. It'd be better than Fallout 4. It would. <laughs> it would. Or I'm just throwing shade Or now. you could just give the IP back to Obsidian. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, that'd be, you know, be... It'd be an idea. I don't know if Obsidian would want to do that. Their name was on a game recently that I saw, and it really surprised me. I forgot what it was. I heard, I probably know what game it is, because I swear I was following this recently as well. But we're I, think, talking, I think it was because you actually told me to look it up. We're talking about space games. So to me, a space game should only, should only be considered a space game if you stay in a spaceship pretty much all of the time. Maybe you can go on to space stations, but you've got to stay in space. And technically, I feel, there shouldn't be gravity. I feel like that has to be a big part of it. I think that as soon as you start adding gravity, it's more of a planet side thing. Like you should have, or you you could even because you could go crazy. You could be like, well, we're going to have big ring ring stations, which are the ones that you know giant circle spins around. But giant circles that spin around should have a Coriolis effect, and so you should end up having like really strange quasi gravity when you're on one of these rings, really. And I just feel like, why not just make it all about actually being in space? And yeah, for a lot of folks, it's going to be stupid boring because they're not into that. You can, do, you can do space combat or you can do, what's your counterpoint? Kerbal Space Program. I love Kerbal Space Program. That's definitely a space game. Uh-uh, you start on the ground. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing's about gravity, man. 
Um, let me really quickly catch up with the comment there. Uh, Serdane, God, the gunplay and power armor of four with the right end of New Vegas would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah. I think we'd all have to agree with that. I don't know that you'd ever actually get New Vegas level writing again, though, because... No. Um, they left. Outer Worlds, um, which is by Obsidian uh, as well. And Obsidian was the team behind New Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're behind it, something else and we can't remember what it is. Yeah, but Outer Worlds did not capture the same lightning. No, I'd heard that. Yeah. I'd heard that. But, um, okay, so Kerbal Space Program is definitely a game about space programs. Yeah. Which are programs where you try to get into space. Sir Dane says a man can dream. Yeah. Referencing, you know, Fallout 4 in New Vegas. I, we would agree. But yeah, um, I think that I would consider that a space game for sure once you're in space because you have to deal with actual orbital mechanics to an extent. Now, there's some problems with the physics engine inside of Kerbal Space Program that limit it. It doesn't really have end body physics, whatever. It's yeah, Newtonian so. mechanics. It's close enough for jazz, if you will. Um, and I don't know if Kerbal, the Kerbal Space Program 2 is going to add some weird stuff, but we'll get to that when we're closer to Kerbal Space Program 2 being out. <laughs> but anyway, yes. You had a comment, though, beyond just saying Kerbal Space Program? Oh, it just doesn't fit with your theory that you have to be in space. Like, it's a game about yeah. going to space, so half of the challenge is not in space. See, but I, I would argue that the game's only trying to simulate a space program, so it's not really a space game so much as a management and engineering game. Mm. <laughs> you can split hairs on genres all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, though, that if you're trying to make a future sci-fi game that's supposed to be set in space, it should be zero gravity, it should be you don't really leave your spaceship, No Man's Sky wouldn't count as just a space game for me at that point because the only point of space in No Man's Sky usually is to get between worlds. Every now and then you end up on a ship, but the ships have gravity. Yeah. So you might as well be on the ground. Um, And there is space combat, but not And flying the ship doesn't change in atmosphere versus Which is weird. Yeah, that's that is one thing that Elite Dangerous gets right. In my Eh, opinion. It doesn't though. No, it does though. We had this argument. There's no difference between flying on the planet and flying in space other than your technical speed. I don't know if they simulate the effects of aerodynamics um, on the ships when they're going into low atmosphere planets, but you don't, you can't actually go into heavy atmosphere planets on Elite Dangerous. All the planets either have no atmosphere or a very light atmosphere. Okay. And that's all that's actually allowed. That but being said, they're not really doing a good, look, I'm not going to try to defend them completely on the planet side stuff they have on there because, like I said before, that suddenly is planet side and you're not a space game anymore. There is gravity. You know, like you get onto the ground, there's gravity. The space stations have gravity for whatever reason. But one thing they do get right is the way that the ship maneuvers in space when you turn off flight assists is relatively accurate to how it would work in real life because you can spin on all three axes um, without, you know, like you don't, because for those who are kind of wondering what the hell I'm even talking about, with an airplane, you need to use the air to maneuver the airplane. What? It's true. You have control surfaces on the wings that deflect deflect the air to spin the plane on its various axes. This means, as a result, you have to... Airplanes were fueled by wishes. That would be cool, but no. So the reason why this matters is because if you get the plane too out of shape so that it's pointing in the wrong direction, like the the plane's pointing up, but the plane's still going forward, then the wings are going to stall and you're going to go spinning out of the sky and explode. 
Cat dust. If if you're going way too fast, they'll just tear. Yeah, you could just rip. It could rip in half. You could also survive. Technically, you can get into a, a spin and get out of it. But the point is, you have to keep the flow of air going over the wings. So forward momentum is always a big deal. You can't just flip the plane around. Now there are folks. If there's anybody listening who is familiar with some of the more advanced fighter jet programs, yes, there are vectored thrust aircraft that can go off axis, but they do snap back to axis. Otherwise, they just go flipping out of the sky. That's a technical note for people who are right now just poking their glasses up and getting ready to make a comment. Um, but, <laughs> but the point is, Elite Dangerous does a good job with this because they make it so that you can just flip the craft around on any axis. And it won't change the direction you're going in. So you can flip your craft around completely and suddenly you're going, quote-unquote, backwards vis-a-vis the other craft. And what I love about it is if you have somebody sneak up behind you, which for some reason whenever I get intercepted and they pull me out of you know super cruise which is we won't even get into super cruise but they pull you out of super cruise and they're behind me they think they're behind me but i turn off flight assist i just flip the thing around and start firing missiles <laughs> so you're it's more like and you mentioned this when we were talking about it, it's kind of more like a, a first person shooter almost at that point because you can just flip around you don't need yeah. to worry about keeping your momentum going forward and then getting into a turning war which is what you do when you're in the atmosphere so elite dangerous i think at least gets that right but well, it gets other things wrong, so, you know. It may have the ability to get it right, but it doesn't ever tell you, and it doesn't explain how to fly like that. So Look, most people don't know We're just going to put that under the general heading of Elite Dangerous is really bad at explaining pretty much all the things. <laughs> but yes, I would, I would agree. The thing is, here's the funny thing is I didn't know about that. And I was talking, I think I was talking to Krona, and I was like, you know, I really am looking forward to having a game someday where you can move the craft like it would actually move in space, where you can move on all three axes freely, and you can move on all three planes freely, and it's just, you know, that's just how it should work. And and then, like, a couple days later, I'm on the subreddit, and somebody I mean, there's... Uh, a couple days later, I was on the subreddit, and somebody was like, man, all you people that turn off flight assist, you're just a bunch of show-offs. And I'm like, flight assist, what? And so I start reading it, and people are like, no, but see, the reason you turn off flight assist is because with flight assist on, it flies like an airplane, but without flight assist on, it flies like an actual spaceship. And I was like, pardon me? <laughs> could you could you elaborate, please? Um, I was 160 hours into the game. And the game did not tell me this. I yeah, found out there's, there's from people nothing. whining on Reddit. <laughs> there's not even like a little icon anywhere on the ship that says flight assist on. There is one that says flight assist off when you turn it off. <laughs> If you go if you go into the menu system you can actually find it. You know, it's buried down there. It's of course. it's not it's not helpful. And the thing is they have a combat tutorial at the beginning and they could at any point say by the way if you need to shoot off access, turn off flight assist. Here's the shortcut button because there's a shortcut button for it, but you didn't know that either. Um, like there's a shortcut button. Hit the short Oh look, now you can turn really quickly, but it makes the thing really hard to handle, so after you're done shooting, maybe turn it back on. Anyway. I digress, but they really should have done that. A uh, really quick comment from Sir Dane. Flying, flying is just throwing yourself at the ground and missing. I always, I love a good um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. So yes, that is that is true. I've tried it many times and I've never had the mental fortitude to miss the ground. So yeah, at that point it's not flying. It's just falling with style. Nah, I don't fall with style. I just hit the ground. <laughs> We're making Toy Story references. We're making Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references. Uh, Douglas Adams, one of my favorite authors. Anyway. Anyway, I talk about space stuff a lot. Read that book at some point. It's a great series. It's five books, but five books. Uh, read read all of them. They're really very good. Uh, I should read more books in general. <laughs> 
shouldn't we all? <laughs> anyway, that seems as good of a place to uh, pull that one to a stop for now. Um, and it's about time that we were actually taking a break. So we're going to take a really quick break here, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes, folks. So, yeah, see you in a few. Well, I think we're back now. Are we back? I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you had a pretty big disappointment during the break, but... I did. I'm so mad. Um, I, I found out recently that I have either gluten intolerance or possibly celiacs, and I was like, I'm hungry. In between uh, sessions, I was going to go grab some cornbread, which I just bought from the store today. And fortunately, somebody pointed out to me, I think you mentioned, like, doesn't it have, like, I mean, it's bread. Doesn't it have wheat in it? And I was like, that's ridiculous. But I was like, you probably should check real quick. I was more questioning whether or not corn had gluten. But the point is, it does. <laughs> not corn, but like cornbread has wheat flour in it. And I was like, oh, come on. So I ended up eating it, a, it's a shame because... Uh, eating a piece it, of cheese. After you couldn't eat it, you threw it at me. And I, I like, had Here. some. And it tasted like butter and honey. Good. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> jerk but yeah there you go what are you gonna do oh i need to get back to my my regular null point screen not that it really makes any difference okay so yeah where were we at we were talking about space before but i think it's time to start moving over to our our, our last giant block of things we're supposed oh, to the real talk about rambly today. section huh? the real rambly section the real rambly so that makes you think it makes me think because I don't remember what it was. <laughs> RPGs and such. The first thing that I'd wanted to point out was just that I found out today that Cyberpunk 2077, which we'd just been talking about, but is now in its proper section because we're talking about it as an RPG rather than as a space game. Um, they're hiring some of the modders for the game to help create modding tools for the game uh, that everybody will be able to use. And that is really interesting because the game has some interesting systems and it's got some pretty decent graphics in my yeah. opinion. And it's got a lot of really good ideas that have not been fully realized yet, if I'm being honest. And I wonder what this will do. Now, I, I have a bit of a history with mods and it's kind of good and bad, you know. Um, I'm famous for not wanting to ever install mods. That's <laughs> that's one thing about me and Twitch at least. Famous famous i like everybody knows you go to anybody in the world and say who's j lights and they say that's the one that doesn't like installing mods I see anybody go to singapore you'll find out just kidding but uh, i'm usually not a huge fan of like mods and such but I, i've been okay with mods when it's fixing a game that's clearly broken um a good example of that being Stonehearth, uh which was not completely finished but the real finicky thing about Stonehearth was when they allowed modding of Stonehearth, it didn't allow it to happen on a core level. Yeah. It had to happen on a higher level using JavaScript and Lua, which are higher level languages. You couldn't do any of the core engine stuff. You couldn't change anything that was, was central to the game, and it has caused a lot of problems. It's not quite as extreme, but it's like saying you can mod 
Minecraft without installing any mods by building the computer inside of Minecraft. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, not as extreme. It's not as, as extreme, that, but, but it is similar. <laughs> that is a it. It's the same analogy. kind of inefficiency. So what's interesting to me is they're hiring modders who apparently are able to get a little bit deeper into the, the code than that. So I kind of wonder if the modding tools are going to add, since they're going to be better integrated, if that'll be mean that they are of a higher quality. And this could be a, an interesting new direction for Cyberpunk. I think that if there's anything that's going to save Cyberpunk, it's probably the community around it that loves it. And if they're given proper modding tools, maybe it'll be a good thing. You know, maybe. But, but really, I suppose the real headline interesting thing aside from just, oh, hey, there's, there's going to be some official modding tools, is I don't know that I've... I'm sure it has happened before, but I haven't really heard of it happening before where the developers are just like, oh, there's a modding community. Uh, usually when they hear there's a modding community, they, they if they don't like it, then you find out really quick because they figure out ways to shut down the mods. If they do like the modding community, usually the most they'll do is try to expose pieces of the API so the modding community can make use of them. They might go so far as to actually allow for some sort of in-game store of some sort or another, something along those lines, I mean, make it easier to get a hold of. But this is one of the first times I've heard of them liking the idea so much that they went and found the people who were making the community modding tools and said, hey, uh, how would you like a job? Do this for real. Have, has, have you heard of that happening before? Uh, it's a rare occurrence, but it has happened on most major developers. That is seen as one of the ways to get in is to get a really popular mod and then kind of pitch yourself to the developers through it. Well, right, but that's like making a really popular mod. This is making a bunch of really popular modding tools. Yeah. So their, their thing they've been doing is making a tool set, which I don't think I've heard of that happening. I've heard of people making mods and then the people are like, oh, hey, this is great. You should come and work for our company for, by making this great mod. But making a tool set that is exposing your the core APIs of your, your game engine to other modders, you know, I think a lot of developers are more inclined to be like, don't give our users that much power, darn you. And then they try to shut it down rather than saying, oh, hey, do you want to come work for us and do this for us? Yeah, but at the same time, it's just a softer tactic of asserting control over the endeavor. I mean, yes, but I, also... I have a very skeptical view of CD Projekt Red. I have, For what reason? <laughs> I might have, uh, during like the initial push-out from college, looked at a lot of developers and actually like looked at their hiring practices and yeah. stuff like that. And CD Projekt Red isn't the worst out there. No. But they're still a very... <sighs> butch company, I guess mm. you could say. Like, I've heard. I've heard. And I, I've heard like that it doesn't, it, it's it doesn't kind of... Get, Poland in general is kind of like that, but... I mean... It can be, I've, I'm, but I, I don't live in Poland. I, yeah. But the thing is, like, you can say the same thing about places in America, too. Yeah. But I, I don't I know. I mean, Springfield isn't exactly the most uh, progressive <laughs> region. Yeah, you don't have to tell me. But uh, it's um, it's interesting. Uh, oh, gosh, my brain completely lost track of it. Oh, it's not, I was thinking about the most butch company I know of, which are the people who make Escape from Tarkov. If, if you... Do you know who, what company is it that makes Escape from Tarkov? I don't know what company it is, but I remember the game. Yeah, I think most people who do Twitch know Escape from Tarkov because it got super popular. I don't know that it's at the top anymore, but it I mean, I only know of it from Viva La Dirt League and their video yeah. series on how painful it was to play the game. <laughs> What's this? I don't know. <laughs> 
but the thing but that, it costs one horse one thing one thing i read from cd pro not cd project red that i read from the makers of escape from tarkov somebody said well when are you gonna put in a female character model so that we can play as a woman if we want to and they were like escape from tarkov is is set in a post-apocalyptic like the military war zone that is the most masculine of manly things ever and we're just not going to put female models in because it's masculine and manly and and gross that's not exactly what they said but Oddly enough, it's not that far off of what they said. Mm. Um, they don't want to add in female character models because it's just you know, women can't women can't fire guns, so they're really bad at war. I see. <laughs> I I feel like if you're in a especially when you're in a post-apocalyptic scenario, quote unquote, and you have to fight for survival, and there are guns, I'm telling you right now, everybody's getting involved at that point. Anybody who can pull a trigger is going to be holding a gun. So well, I, guns in post-apocalypse have always kind of baffled me, because like yes, the technology is there, but you mm. don't have the infrastructure to produce ammunition for. See, them. yeah, what what's happened is all these games are set after that moment when guns learned how to make their own bullets mm. from I black holes. I see and wormholes. So, but they're not to the point where the guns shoot tinier guns yet. No, 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 not yet. It's before. It's right before that. <laughs> anyway, it's it's a fantasy game, and there's yeah. just no need, you know. But that was they're fairly on it. They just wanted it to be the most masculine, manly, manly, manly thing ever. Which machismo. whatever. Have fun with your machismo. At least I know where you all are, so I can stay away. There's only one good thing to ever come out of machismo, for, as far as I know. Is it cheese? No. Darn. Um, and now I'm forgetting the title of it. Um, I think the web page is manly men doing manly things. I have seen that. Uh, oh, the punchline is machismo. That the was the actual comic machismo. name, and that was yeah, that was fantastic. Fun. It was fun, and then they had to stop. It was fun though. Yeah, it, I, I actually applaud them for stopping because they're like, "Hey, stuff's getting busy. This has Sorry. been a really fun comic." I want to keep it having been a fun comic, so I'm going to stop here. Bye, everybody. Yeah, basically. It was well-written. It was good stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Cyberpunk 2077, hiring in some tools folks who were making community tools, and now we'll be making them officially for CG Project Red. We'll have to see how that goes. I mean, to me, it's a promising idea. I don't think I've heard of it and, happening before, but it could definitely go very wrong. And it's always a good thing to hear that someone was doing something for free and a company recognized it and said, hey, you should be paid for that. Hey, you guys are the ones that have been fixing our game. Maybe we will pay you because there's a bunch of games out there that don't do that. And I'm looking at you, Near Automata, the PC Nier, version especially. So Near Automata, I can't back them up on it, but there, there's a lot of development things out there that they just can't pay the modders because they're not that size of an outfit. CD Projekt Red definitely can pay modders. Um, Near Automata is kind of borderline because while it was produced by a AAA team, the actual developer and like director on it, it was kind of supposed to be a one-off project. So, which is why there's three games in the series. Yes, at like <laughs> a decade apart for each of them. Look. My point is, I don't know what my point is, but there was a, there, I remember when I was playing it on PC, I had to go and get a set of tools, I think it was Special K, um, in order to make the game even work for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, you could at least throw the guy a few thousand dollars, yeah. maybe you could buy his code and then like just implement it. And the funny thing is, they did eventually fix all the problems. This is 
a total side venture, but they did eventually fix all the problems. It's just you have to buy the game again on the Windows Store mm. to get the fixes. If you got it on Steam, screw you. At least last I checked. Maybe they've introduced the changes now. See, I had it on Steam and I didn't have any problems with it. Hmm? I have near Automata on yeah? Steam. Really? No problems. You you have the chipset that they developed on, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> Which is actually a, a very common thing. Like, <laughs> if you are running a um, not NVIDIA Radeon? Mm. No. I mean, those are graphics cards, yes. ATI? No. Back Whatever chipset isn't NVIDIA, um, oh. you tend to have a lot of graphical issues. Um, and then <laughs> the the... <laughs> Definitely. There's the odd game that wasn't developed on NVIDIA graphics cards that has a lot of problems for most of the world. In 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 software development, it's usually considered impolite to say, well, it works on my machine, and that's triply so for games. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's nice. I'm glad it works on your computer. Oh, it, it bugs me so much. And I really wish that would start going over to game design because fun fact about people, yeah, they vary a lot. So if you tell someone, well, I didn't have any problems with it, <laughs> I want to punch you. <laughs> Look, I played that level, and it was fine. I also made that level, but it was fine, okay? <laughs> I've played it. I made it. Who knows the game better than me? Nobody. And so I know its intention. Therefore, yeah. it's good. So, uh, sure. But it, uh, I'm have on fun a, with a that few cross discords code. Well, uh, where I have a lot of <laughs> We're getting to you, cross design code. comments, and I'll be like, hey, does anyone have any tips for this? And they're like, well, have you tried doing this basic thing? Yes, that's what the game told me to do. It's like, then why isn't it working? I That's don't know. What I need to know. That's why I'm here. I don't know if you know this. What I also love, this is another side jump, but what I also love is when you go into Google and you go searching for the answer to any number of questions for how to do something in a game, and somebody asks the question that you're asking, and the very first comment is, have you tried Googling it? <laughs> it's like, how is this the top answer? It's recursive. It doesn't help anything. It's recursive with no base case. Anyway. I think Google just likes to remind you to Google. <sighs> Probably true. Oh, goodness. Um, shifting gears to Final Fantasy fourteen. This is kind of a little throwaway comment, but it's something that I've been thinking a lot lately because I, I decided to switch controllers from... I have a... What is it? A, a custom orb weaver. Mm -hmm. I have an orb weaver from Razer. That but doesn't it, actually have an orb on it. Doesn't? No, there's no orbs anywhere. Um, named after the spider. Also doesn't look like a spider. But it is called the orb weaver. And it's from Razer, and I've been using it to control Final Fantasy XIV for a very long time, and it works just fine. Like, I don't really have any complaints about and it. And for, for reference, what it actually is is basically just an extension to your keyboard. Yeah, it's I think they're called, like, gaming numpads or something. Yeah. Because that's technically apparently what they're considered. But all that it really is is 20 keys numbered 1 through 20, and you can use them inside of other games. You can remap it, you can do all this stuff. It's actually really cool, but yeah. the reason why I'm getting away from it is not because I don't like the Orb Weaver. In fact, I would recommend the Orb Weaver. If, if you are always gaming at a desktop computer and you're playing a game that needs you to have a lot of button inputs and you don't mind spending the time to remap things a little bit, Orb Weavers are great. Or if you just want to have a more configurable keyboard, yeah. you, you can use it there as well. Yep. And it's the, also the thing is that it's about half the size of a keyboard and mm -hmm. you can put it on whatever side of the desk well, you want. To me, the best thing about it, actually, I, I didn't mean this to be a, an advertisement for the Razer Orb Weaver, but it's becoming one. Hey, I'm just um, trying to advocate for adjustable controls here. What I think is great about it is that you have a thumbstick. So your thumb actually goes onto a, a thumbstick that I've mapped in Final Fantasy XIV. 
I've mapped it to the AWSD keys because if you do it to the arrow keys, the game gets really confused. But Imagine. if you map it to AWSD, though, the sad, the, what is it? Sad W keys? <laughs> Wazda. Wazda. I like sad W. That's more fun. But uh, if you map it to the sad W keys, then it works just great. And you can use the thumbstick for all your controls with your thumb. And then your hands, your fingers are completely free to hit all the buttons. So you've actually got really good access to things. And it's fantastic, especially when you combine it with my mouse, which has a bunch of extra buttons on it. And I have those mapped to like shift and alt. Put two of them back to back. And controller. And you attach them to an orb and you'll be flying a gold mothership. Yeah, you probably would be. That is a good point. <laughs> you have no clue what image I'm referencing. Oh no! <laughs> I don't. But anyway, um, sorry. I had to, I have to use a sound clip somewhere. What other ones do I have? That also works. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> my mouse, which is a Corsair and is quite nice, uh, has a few extra buttons on it, and I've mapped them to like Shift and Alt and Control. So I can actually turn my like left hand, which has these 20 keys, I can turn it into, you know, 20 times 4, which is 80 keys, and you've just got all this access. It's fantastic. I'm used to having like a zillion keys at my disposal, but the problem is it gets a little bit harder when you want a game with a laptop on the go because you've got to carry around extra stuff. And beyond just carrying extra stuff, because it's not that much heavier, setting it up can be a little restrictive. Like if you just want to sit in a chair and like put your laptop on a pillow on your lap, um, it can be really hard to find a place to put the mouse in, in the keyboard. And if I want to play out in the front room with my wife, then that can be problematic. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to learn how to play on a Xbox controller. Yeah. Because I hate myself. Yeah, I mean, if you really wanted to learn on a controller, you'd use the Switch Pro controller. Uh, no. I have the Xbox Pro controller, actually, which has wonderful button action. I feel like I'm advertising for just a bunch of <laughs> controller companies at this point. Yeah, get this, get this, get this. I have the Microsoft Xbox Pro controller. There are also ones from Scuff that are really nice. Like, I'm, I'm not necessarily partial to the Microsoft controller. The only important but, thing about a controller is how heavy it is. The heavier the controller, the better it is. That controller is heavy. And the best part about it is it's got a recharger inside of its case. So when you put it into its case and you pick up the case, it feels like you're picking up a brick or something. So it's <laughs> like, oh, you know, you know this is quality. Yep. Because let me tell you something. The momentum, the specific momentum of your controller when you're pushing buttons on the face of it really matters to performance. <laughs> So we joke about it, but I honestly think that it is just significantly more satisfying as an adult oh, yeah. to have a heavier 100%. controller. No, I, I totally agree. We make we make jokes, but yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It's true. Mm. Um, Sardane is saying that... Uh, oh, I see. Sardane is talking... So Sardane was making comments. We had a weird commenter show up and Sardane is taking care of it. He has dealt with it, as he says here. Um, oof. I put my leg to sleep. Uh-oh. <laughs> my right leg has gone to sleep a little bit. I'll survive. Um, so, it's very different. When I used to have, uh, you know, somewhere around 80 buttons at my disposal. Yeah. And also a dedicated movement stick. And now I've got, like... Uh, somewhere around 16 buttons total, I think. So when I started playing Final Fantasy, I started on keyboard, switched mm -hmm. to controller, and mm -hmm. went back to keyboard. Um, I've heard that a lot. 
And honestly, the controller is a lot of fun for relaxing gameplay. Mm -hmm. The thing that made me switch back from it is because I started to try out tank classes and you need to be able to really quickly target something and their tab keys aren't always that reliable. It's not super great, no. I'm still learning how to work with it. I know people who do all the classes with controllers and do yeah. fine. It's a matter of getting you used to it. Fine. And it's, it's just you can do well. Finicky. There are people who do who do really well. The problem, and this is the comparison I keep making to folks, is it's, have you ever seen that video where, there's a few of them on YouTube, where somebody will take a bicycle, something they learned to ride when they were three, and they'll put a little extra gear on the handlebar so that when you turn the bike to the left, the wheel goes right instead. Mm-hmm. This is a perfectly viable control scheme. You're still turning the wheel in a direction, and it's still very predictable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, if you try and do that after decades of riding a bike the normal way, you will crash repeatedly. One of the videos I watched was a guy who, like, he first started doing it on asphalt. I don't think he got any faster than, like, a mile an, a mile an hour or maybe two. Um, and was like, whoa, no, we're doing the rest of this on grass. So he goes over onto grass. He's like, just trying to, it was just ridiculous to watch. Like it, everything feels backwards and weird and in the wrong place. Like going to the controller involves having to use the shoulder buttons in order to kind of pop into quick menus to yeah. use the face buttons to do the attacks. And like, I had to do this, all this remapping. Now with the pro controller, I can map some things to the back four buttons as well which has helped me out because I used the face buttons on the right for most attacks, but then I mapped the directional pad to the back four buttons so that I never have to take my fingers off of the two controly sticky thingies. I'm miming and nobody can see it, but you know, I can keep my thumbs on the control sticks and I've got my, my fingers on the, the things on the back and it's, it's just insane. It's totally different. And it's been, yeah. when I first started doing it, the reason I compared it to the bike thing, the first task I gave to myself was to go to where my house is and to just run around the neighborhood. Guess how that went? <laughs> Four hours later, you might have made it to your house. <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, at this point, though, I can get around my neighborhood, and I can even do dungeon solo again. So I'm going out and doing like the area or something like that, which is pretty easy when you're level eighty. Um, yeah, like it's still there's still a lot of problems, but you really so want to have that feeling okay. of uh, <laughs> trying to ride a bike when the control schemes are inverted. Um, so Monster Hunter World and Dark Souls are two things I probably talk about a little too much. Oh, really? Never heard about these games before. But, uh, in Dark Souls, you attack with the bumpers and you run with the B button mm. or the, the right face button, I should say. Mm -hmm. In Monster Hunter World, you run with the bumper and you attack with the right face <laughs> button. I'm always remapping games these days because it's like I'm not used to these controls being like this. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I feel you on that. That's a rough one. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's been it's been really interesting. And the other thing that concerns me is I remember from watching that bike video I mentioned before that the the guy took a couple it took a couple weeks, but he got to the point where he could ride the bike with things mapped backwards. He said what surprised him is that when he went back to a normal bike, he couldn't ride a normal bike anymore. Mm -hmm. And it took a few days to get used yep. to riding a normal bike again. <laughs> so if I go back to keyboard and mouse, I'm going to be so lost. going to be so lost. So let, let's catch up on comments really quickly. Serdane's saying, I live with a controller on a DPS class, but I switched to mouse and keyboard when healing. Uh, for the same reason Cedric mentioned, just quick targeting. That makes some sense. I'm going to try to figure out if the pro controller can give me a little bit of extra ability to target because i know that's kind of a, a bit of an issue and you can go into the menus and do 
um, different types of quick targeting. So there's mm-hmm. ones that are like nearest to character, scrolling down your list of allies or what have you. I wonder if you can map it to a macro somehow. Probably. So I don't know. I'm and I'm still not completely set up on it. Um, there's like I. The first several sessions I played was just me playing. Like when I, the first time I did the airy, I'd basically play through a couple of encounters and then I'd sit there and fiddle with the setup to make it more natural. Yeah. And then I'd do a couple more encounters and I did that repeatedly. It's refined quite a bit at this point, but there's part of me that wonders if I really want to map the buttons, buttons on the back the way that I do. I use an application called Rewazd, um, which allows me to basically take the buttons on the back of the Pro Controller and do whatever you want with the general way that the pro controller works i didn't know this i found this out the hard way the back buttons are always mapped to the face buttons so those those four little buttons on the back the only reason they're there the only reason the four paddles are there is so you don't have to take your finger off of the control stick to press um abxy instead you use the things on the back which i was like why can't i I, just i've never been able to do that good because i use uh pointer and middle finger on bumper and trigger so mm. then I'm like holding on with my pinkies yeah, and using the ray fingers. That is one thing I've noticed is like I can't, you can only use your pointer fingers for both bumper and trigger. So that yeah. causes a couple of problems because you can't get your pinky all the way down there, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I ended up getting rewazed because it's like, I don't understand why the, because the Xbox accessory app, which is what you use on a Windows computer to remap your pro controller, won't let you change them. And it's like, why won't you let me do this? I spent enough money on this thing, and I know that like 90% of the price went into, into this weighing a lot so that it'd feel good, but the last 10% should have covered me being able to remap the back things to whatever I want to map them to. Anyway, I got rewazed, and that takes care of it, um, which actually was good. The place where it actually helped me a lot more was in Elite Dangerous because I was able to set up a default control schematic that allows me to actually use flight assist off and control all three axes and all three planes at the same time while still being able to fire weapons, which was the problem with my setup without a pro controller. <laughs> you could do all the movements, but if you wanted to shoot anything, well, let me Good tell luck. you. <laughs> so Better learn how to push buttons with your nose. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Anyway, it's been an interesting experience is why I bring it up. So anybody out there who's considering changing over to using a controller or switching to mouse and keyboard from your current setup, it takes time. Yeah. But if I think that if you can make it make sense. I think the only way you can really make it make sense is if you can kind of make a diagram of the control setup that you want to use and you map out the way that you're pretty sure that you're going to use it. Um, and you can see it working like that's probably a good indication that you can make the switch or if you're like me and, and does, I just needed to use a controller cause I was in a position to not really use my orb weaver as, uh, many complaints as you kind of threw at it, not big complaints, but you know, things mm. that you ran into that you had to deal with. It's still a thousand times better than Guild Wars 2's controller support. <laughs> Which is to say, none. None. Yeah, it's not that great. So yeah, that's uh, that's new controllers in Final Fantasy XIV. So I feel like we need a sound for like introducing different topics. That's for shiny Pokemon. Is that what the, the trumpet? Yeah. Yeah, I think that works. We just need more stings. It'll be great. We're doing it live, darn it. Next, we're going to complain about crosscode. Mm, uh, complain about crosscode. <laughs> I know how to do that. We're not going to complain about crosscode yet. Is, but crosscode is actually mentioned a lot in the RPG section because it's what we've, I've been playing this week. So we can actually kind of mention um, what have I been playing this week? I've been playing crosscode again. 
Um, I, I didn't write down any of the games I've been playing. We just organized these into topics. We don't even have a what were you playing this week. What were you playing this week, CJ? Genshin Impact. Okay, well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we don't do that, because I've played uh, CrossCode, and I've played... I played Universal Universe Sandbox, which was really fun. Yeah. Um... I don't think I've bought any new games. I played CrossCode. I played Final Fantasy VI again. And that kind of gave rise to some of the topics in here. It was interesting playing VI and CrossCode especially because I'd missed having stories. Good stories, to be specific. Any stories. Any stories? <laughs> I mean, they say that there's a story in Elite Dangerous, but I don't know about that. Mm. <laughs> yeah... Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a story in that game in the same way that, you know, real life has a story. If you're sitting in a mall and you watch people move around, you're probably going to pull a story out of that somehow. Yeah. I know there's actually scripted events in, in that game, but it's... About Rogue Galaxy. Yeah, it has a story, but the game is... I'm losing interest, if I'm honest, just because I keep having... feels more to, like a, a series of punchlines than a story. No, it's, it, especially if you watch the opening... Uh, cutscene. There's actually a somewhat interesting story to it. It's just that playing the game has become a slog, so I haven't touched it recently. But uh, that it just occurred to me that really what I needed to do was find a game where it wouldn't be a slog to get to the story, which is why I picked really difficult RPGs. Hey, maybe you should play uh, troubleshooters. No, that game's not what I would call easy. <laughs> but it is good. If anybody's out there listening, go play troubleshooters. So Final Fantasy VI and CrossCode were the ones that I was looking at, and I think the topic that came out of this, you'd wanted to talk about story versus tone versus filler. Yeah. Have I considered... Serdane's asking if I've considered Monster Hunter World. I haven't. I've never heard of that game. Do you want to tell me about it? <laughs> do, you uh, have, do you have seven minutes to talk about our Lord and Savior, Monster Hunter World? <laughs> I mean, it does have a story. This is true. It and does. And it, it is a very bombastic story. There, I thought there, the story... Isn't the story, like, about... The love between a hunter and their calico? Palico? Uh, Galico? Something about that. And a Galico's a thing somewhere. Pickles that eat their own tails. You pickles. Know? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Monster Hunter World this week. Uh, let's see. Story versus tone versus filler. What were we even talking about with that? Jeez. We had a pre... We, we tried to be organized this week. <laughs> I wrote down a note. I remember the conversation that started this, though, because we were talking about filler the filler is the thing that i remember the most which is we so we've talked many people have talked many pixels have so, been spilled regarding regarding um ludonarrative dissonance yeah. which is every game theorist's favorite word to say because it makes you sound like you're really smart ludonarrative dissonance just sounds fantastic really all that it means is the story and the game mechanics just don't seem to agree with each other i'm trying to save the world and i seem to be murdering every person i run into i don't know about that Nathan Drake, I'm looking at you. Laura Croft, too, these days. Yeah. It's like, I thought you guys were just archaeologists. It's like, well, Indiana well, Jones to be killed fair, a few people. Laura Croft. Uh, yeah. Always kind of had that murder. True, especially if you go early on in her stuff. But anyway, um, we don't talk a lot about the other direction. Because yeah. a lot of a lot of it is like, why is this so violent? It doesn't make any sense. And there's another direction to that, which is, no, seriously, I should probably be more violent. Why am I gardening? And you ran into this in Genshin Impact, right? All the time in Genshin Impact. So the second quest series that you have in Genshin Impact takes you to the neighboring nation. Mm -hmm. And when you get there, uh, you go to attend this festival and 
the local deity drops out of the sky dead and you get pinned for the murder. It's clearly your fault. You were standing there. Yes. Clearly our fault. <laughs> now, if you get uh, pegged for deicide, what would you do? Run? Did you pick plan the funeral of the god? <laughs> would you go with A... <laughs> In some ways, there's actually a certain amount of practicality to this. I need to point out, because we don't do this in real life for some reason or another. Well, you kill them. You got to plan their funeral. (laughs) It's your responsibility. You're the one that took the action that has put us in this situation. So get to planning that funeral. You've got this epic espionage (laughs) type plot line going on. And the actual actions that the character is doing is running around collecting different perfume samples, making sure that the flower arrangements are right. And it's just like... With GRP- Come on, guys. JRPG stuff, stuff from Asia in general. I guess stuff from the US, though. Like, I, I've seen this in a lot of games. And, and I'm not saying you can't have quests like that, by the way. I understand uh, no. the importance of downtime. No. But Genshin has been nothing but downtime. What's weird about it, and this is what I think, this is the point I'd really want to get to, is it's not just about, like, you have a side thing. Mm-hmm. It's about there's something in your way to learning the rest of the story. And. In Final Fantasy XIV, to bring up another game that we were just talking about, I remember there's game a, there's where a you section. Definitely don't have to go sniff a chocobo. Definitely not. There's a, there's a section in I believe in the Realm Reborn, though it might be the beginning of Hev- Heaven's Word, where they're trying to get you to prove your worth or something. They're not telling you this, but they're trying to get you to prove your worth by like preparing a party. Mm. And it's so strange. It's like guys, guys, like. We're trying to figure out whether or not the gods even exist to begin with. And we've got all these, you know, primals running around murdering people. And we've got all these, you know, small beast tribes raising gods. And like, there's important things going, no, 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 we need to, we need to run this test. We need you to go and set up this party. It's like, (laughs) why don't put things like that in front of, in, in between you and resolving the quest. If the quest is mostly about violence, which in Final Fantasy XIV, it is all about violence because you're trying to stop things via force, which is the violent route. Now, I think that fourteen also does a good job. This is why I think they're a good example. There are some things that aren't so good, but there are other things that are actually quite good. Most of their crafting is off to the side. Yeah, You don't have to go do crafting. You can get through the entire main story quest without crafting. You're doing it wrong, but not just kidding. But you can but you can do it that way, and it's totally fine. Um, what you can do, though, to get back to bad examples from Final Fantasy XIV, is you can't get past the dungeons. You can't get to the story unless you do the dungeons, which has always annoyed me. Yeah. Um, but that's a different thing altogether. The, 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 I think that people need to be, developers need to be a little bit more conscious of how they're gating the story, because for a lot of players... The story is why they're there, you know? If you have a game where the story is your main selling point, maybe be careful that you're not gating the story with side quest stuff. Now, do you want to have side quest opportunities and do you want the player to know, hey, you can walk off to the side and do this if you need a breather? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to force them to take a break? I would disagree with that idea. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from the developers wanting to be like, well, we've had our big climactic moment. Mm-hmm. We need to have a break so that players can reset before the next climactic moment. But they're not considering that in video games, those breaks come more naturally. Mm-hmm. In Dark Souls, if I just fought a giant boss, my next action is usually go back to town and resupply. Yeah. Which is the break. I don't need one in the story. I don't really need to be told to take a break when I need to take a break, generally. Yeah. 
Um, there's actually a bigger discussion to be had, by the way, around letting the players take a break. It doesn't really have anything to do with forcing breaks. In my mind, it has more to do with not designing your mechanics in such a way that people feel like they can't leave. Right. You know, that, if you've, that's if, another big thing. Yeah, that's a whole different topic, uh, but it is it is definitely another thing that should be and considered. It, it's a bit tricky, too, because there's um, a particularly famous example in game design where a studio was looking at planning their next game, and they had a turn-based game. So, obviously, you can get up and walk away at any moment. Can you? But it was a real-time game, and anyone could submit their action throughout the day and it turned into just a giant session of paranoia where everyone was like hovering around the game table waiting for someone to make a move oh man <laughs> so to catch up on chat really quick Sudane talking about how in reference to final fantasy 14 uh, in some cases the story is in the dungeons especially in endwalker uh but those dungeons are fantastic um oh is endwalker is endwalker out i have no clue did endwalker come out I uh, I didn't actually finish Shadowbringers. Did you mean Did you mean Shadowbringers? Endwalker released it. I didn't think Endwalker was out. Did I miss it? It says November twenty third. So no, I think mm-hmm. I think Serdain means Shadowbringers. Um, because I would agree. Uh, if he's talking about Shadowbringers, the the dungeons are fantastic, and there's a lot of story there. Now that that to me is kind of yeah, he meant Shadowbringers. So. To me, that's kind of a typo. He says that that's a typo. I don't know how spelling Shadowbringers as Endwalker is a typo, but... (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Autocorrect, darn it. (laughs) All I know is that uh, the... Uh, What was it? Stormbringers expansion and Shadow's Blood expansions in Final (laughs) Fantasy XIV are fantastic. Yeah, right. They're fantastic. You know, that in heaven's way. <laughs> but uh, with Shadowbringers, th- see, this is a whole different topic at this point. Because to me, the problem with dungeons, uh, <laughs> Sir Dane says brain fart there. Happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a brain fart. So my complaint about um, dungeons inside of the story of Final Fantasy fourteen actually is, is unrelated to kind of what we're talking about. Because what bugs me isn't necessarily that it breaks up the pace because this plot itself is a violent plot so you're going to be fighting something one way or another it's just you need to do it with other people or not my problem with it is i don't like doing dungeons with other people right (laughs) so i like the end work i like the shadowbringer dungeons as well because you get an ar party that will do them with you and that means i get to uh do all of my dungeons with the goddess who is ishtola and it's nothing against being able to do them with other people it's just that i think that both of us are a bit more introverted than that we it's not that we don't fear what other people are going to do or say it's that we don't want to make a mistake in the presence of other that's the big thing and i don't feel like like the only time i really want to do a dungeon with other people is when they're my friends yeah and that makes it even harder because it's like, okay, I'm going along in the story. I'm, I'm rolling along in the story. There's a lot of fun. And, oh, it's it's time to do a dungeon. Uh, are any of my friends online? No. Okay. Is anybody in my FC online? Well, yes, but the people who are most likely to volunteer, I don't know if I really want to do a dungeon with or I don't know what. Okay, well, you're going to get randos. <laughs> you're funny. Um, it's, it's rough. Like... I sh- when I did Shadowbringers, I used the AI for all the four-person dungeons because you can do that. And for all of the eight-man raids or the eight-character raids, um, 
I, I got as many people together as I possibly could from my FC who I knew and got along with. And then we'd probably get a few randos on top of that. So let's see, uh, to catch up with Sudan again, the trust system is great. Uh, that's the ability to do, um, AIs and regular dungeons. And I hope they expanded it and Walker me too. If they can extend that to eight person, uh, eight character raids, that'd be great. Technically you have squadrons for earlier expansions, but you have to run the dungeons first before you can use a squadron in it. Blech. And you have to rank up every character in the squadron, and is, your yeah. character has yeah. to be of level yeah. to go through the dungeon, which is different than the level that you need to go through the dungeon yeah. on. I feel like it's worth saying that what would be preferable to me is that the dungeons just were not in the story. I think that they need to be adjacent. I think that... Or have a... Because my, my opinion is that rating in Final Fantasy fourteen is probably the best rating there is in MMOs right now, and I'm not alone in thinking that by any stretch. And there are times when I want to do yeah. raids, but I don't want to have the story hanging on me getting a raid done. I'd rather just be in a place where it's like, oh, I don't want to do story today. I want to go and do some raids. And I'd love for the raids to be related to the story in the same way that the the um, the crafting quests are all related to the main story, you know. But I don't want it to stop me. I don't want the dungeons to stop me from continuing the story. If I decide I just don't want to put up with people, or I decide I want to do it with my friends, and my friends are on right now, like it's just it's a real drag. Or at least have like a, a panic option that you can click on the raid join screen. That's like I just want the story from this dungeon. But I don't like people. Can I just skip? <laughs> Or you can do what they've done, which is now you can just do them with AI. I suppose that's fine. I, if they can expand an Endwalker, if you can do the eight to eight character raids with AI, I guess I'm happy. But in some ways, it's kind of sad because yeah. that's kind of a really weird Band-Aid. Why not just put them off to the side and let people who want to get involved with them get involved with them? And there should be special rewards for it that I don't get if I don't do that. That's perfectly fine with me. Like, that, the people who want to do that content, they should have an individual reward. That's totally cool. Just let me have my story. Let me have my story. So, anyway. <laughs> How did CrossCode turn into talking about filler stuff? I know the thing that I hate you, about... You switched over to Final Fantasy fourteen. I know, but like 6 and CrossCode are what apparently started me talking about story to begin with. 6 has a great story, by the way. But that's neither here nor there, really. This does get to us talking about CrossCode, though, which is which is definitely something to complain about. For, As you claim, it has a great story. It does. It has a fantastic story. I mean, I think it has a fantastic story because it does, <laughs> but there are definitely issues um, with, with the game. <laughs> there was something in particular. I'm going to let you start with your complaint if you wanted to, because I, uh, if I'm which honest, one? the, which one, um, the one that had to do with invincibility, as I recall, with grass hair dude and not being able to like them resetting their attacks. That's more mechanic than story. Well, yeah, but there's nothing to complain about with the story because it's awesome. If you have complaints about the story, now's the time to bring them up. Uh, I do not like MMO and is isekai uh, genre stories because uh, I probably watched too many of them growing up. Yeah, well, you're wrong, so. <laughs> I, and it, it's not like Look, I have anything Sword specific. Art, Sword it's Art just... Online is the best story that there ever was. Don't at me. And Lane. <laughs> CJ's just walking out. <laughs> No, I think that that's fair though. Like, I think that there there are some problems um, that exist in that kind of meta story. 
Um, it's kind of strange with CrossCode how you spend some yeah. of the time trying to figure out the world outside of the game and some time trying to figure out the story inside of the game. I, I think that so, was kind of my, my complaint. Like, I like it, it, but it's not for everybody. In a lot of isekai and uh, it's particularly MMO-based games. Yeah, yeah. Or... Long massively pause. mystical operating game. I don't it's, like it's not MMO. <laughs> it's a game that takes place inside of an MMO. It, the world is the MMO. It's true. Crosscode. Yeah. Um, you have a world that is interesting enough to put a story in, but then you only ever interact with it through a game inside of that world. So you have to put lore into the game. And it's like, they want to tell a sci-fi story, but they're not confident enough in their ability to tell a sci-fi story, so they write a fantasy story inside of a sci-fi story, and now you have to read both. Hey, uh, we heard we heard you like games, so we thought we'd put a game in your game so you can game while you game. Sweet. So, to really quickly catch up with Sir Dane, um, that is 100% true. Sword Art Online was a great show with a 13-episode first season, and that's that's 100% correct, and it's it's a shame. It's kind of like how... Um, have you heard of The Matrix before? You've heard of The Matrix, right? And I always thought that The Matrix should have had a couple of sequels. It's unfortunate that they only made that first movie because that's the only one that there is, is the first Matrix movie. Sword Art Online, for me, was... Yeah, we know that you have problems. <laughs> but the point is, is that... The thir- Look, if you're into that kind of thing, the 13 episodes they did make are good. If you're into that sort of thing. If you're not into that sort of thing, then, you know, that's fine. So, I th- guess. This is where I, I... So, there's a lot of things in anime in particular yeah. that I describe as having an inoculation effect. Oh. Um, Sword Art Online is never going to be a good show for me because when I was growing up, I watched dot hack a lot so you've already seen yeah. so i've already seen most of the tropes i've already seen someone being super angsty well, it's kind of like game. it's kind of like if somebody were to make like a movie that used the same plot as the matrix yeah like no we've already seen this it's but why everyone like, has it's that, why they why only made online is yeah. so popular because the next well, the generation funny, came along and the funny thing is is like i actually had seen plots like that before yeah. Um, I, Lane was the first one that I ever saw. Lane is a similar-ish sort of thing, but Lane is definitely crazy, so maybe that's a little bit different. And I'm familiar with those sorts of plots. It's just the characters in Sword Art Online appealed to me. To me, that stuff is almost kind of genre at this point because that's kind of one of those weird things about art in general is sometimes things are so unique that you can only do it once and sometimes things are so unique that we're going to make a genre and you don't really know where it's going to go but i feel like this kind of thing has become popular enough that it could be considered genre but it's problematic because it's maybe a little bit too specific that's why when people tell me oh well i've already seen something like that so i don't really want to watch sword out online i'm like yeah I can I can see that. And to be clear, I've watched both. I just really don't have any fondness for Sword Art Online. That's fine. Sir Dane, uh, comment, grew up with a hack, grew up with hack, and still likes Sword Art Online, um, except the second half of its first season, which we all know doesn't exist. I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, weird. I don't know, first half of the, huh? There's 13 episodes, Sir Dane. Calm down over there. Yeah. <coughs> we don't have opinions around here. Anyway. And whatever you do, do not research the sword. It's just material for Sword Art Online. It is. <laughs> uh, I've never seen... Chronofox saying, I've never seen it, but I know that it's dot hack, Jay. 
whatever. Is it dot .hack? Yeah, well, you want to know what? That's not how I'd pronounce it. And dot .hack was made in that we- weird time where it was a visual novel that got turned into a video game series about playing video games that then got turned into a TV show about a video game, yeah. about an anime. Anyway, next we're going to all start complaining about how dumb the ending to um, the anime for... I don't think I can extend this sentence out long enough to remember what... Oh, no. Ah! <laughs> Hey, I'm not the only one that got one of those today. You know, where you kind of have the sentence and you're like, I know there's a word I need to put at the end of this. It's the name of the thing I'm trying to talk about. And I'm just yep. going to keep going with this sentence until uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Next, we're going to start complaining about the ending of that, which was problematic. Then there's Akira, which the, the anime has manga. never had anything problematic in it. Never. 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 No. It's all perfect. It's a lovely world. What was the? Oh gosh. Anyway, we're not we're not going to turn this into an anime show, probably. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to be discussed. I, uh, I don't think I'm at liberty to actually discuss the anime that I watched growing up. Kasten Sudain is telling me congratulations. I don't know why. Why am I being congratulated? Because I'm not going to make it an anime show, even though I just talked about anime for the last ten minutes. So, anyway, as we all know. Crosscode has an amazing story and is completely infallible. So, <laughs> and like to be fair, the writing in Crosscode is not bad. It's just not my preferred story genre. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but one thing that we were talking about with Crosscode that's more of a mechanical thing. My big complaint about the game because I I come and go with it. It's funny because like I really enjoy the story. I love the characters, and yet I haven't finished the game. I've played through it significantly i hope to beat it at some point but i have not beaten it yet and uh yeah like kind of my big issue that i've been running into with it is there's a real problem in how the mechanics change like to kind of put it briefly when you're out on the map and you're doing regular fights there's kind of this flow stage that you go through you're allowed to beat up a bunch of enemies and then you run to another group of enemies and you beat them up and then you go to another group of enemies and you start to develop these these stacks of combos really until you get up to like it goes d c b a and then you get to, to s rank um combo you get extra bonuses you get more xp like all this sort of stuff you can stop at any point in this if you want and as soon as you stop and the combo ends you get your xp which is good. If you want to keep pushing it, well, you can, but if you die, you're going to lose your progress. So it's kind of an interesting mechanic. You've also got, the other big thing on the overworld is jump puzzles, which there's just a several, it's a 2D game, so there's kind of, it's an, not isometric, but it's just like a 2D kind of Final Fantasy six sort of map. And you can jump up to different levels. And they've got a bunch of jump puzzles, and they're kind of based around kind of searching around for the right place to jump up, and then kind of slowly but surely working your way around the map to find the proper route to get to where you want to get. So it's, it's kind and of a slow... There's a slight problem that depth perception doesn't work that well in that game, but at yeah. the same time, there's not that much of a punishment for falling. It's true, because if you fall down, you just... I mean, the worst that'll happen is you might have to go to the start point, but usually that's not that far. Yeah. It might be... A, a map and a half over, but it's not that far. So then you end up having to get into um, the dungeons because there's a few dungeons in the game, you know? That's just kind of how that goes. You're going to have some dungeons. And 
the dungeon's mechanics are totally different. Like, you you can do kind of the combo fighting I was talking about before where you're flowing from fight to fight, but there's a bunch of different rooms with different loads, and it's kind of hard to get between the fights well enough to keep combos going, in my opinion. There might not be enough enemies. And on top of that, every single room seems to have a jump puzzle. And all those jump puzzles, and they're also reflection puzzles because you can shoot a bullet off and it'll reflect off of a few walls and nonsense like that. Uh, and it'll hit a, a thing that will unlock or move a platform or whatever. And a bunch of them are timed. <laughs> so it drives me bananas. Like you, you, out on the map, you've got this giant flowy combat system and you've got these kind of exploration-based jump puzzles. So it's kind of a relaxing game to me. Like you, it's just a fun thing to do. You can break whenever you want to. You're not under any time pressures. You get into the dungeons and suddenly all of your jump puzzles are really stressful because you got to do them very quickly and there's really no flow state to the combat and the only really big fights you have are against bosses which are suddenly multi-staged and can kill you really relatively easily and then you have to restart the whole entire fight because you don't get saves in between stages or anything along those lines so the dungeons end up being to me a totally different game from the overworld and i enjoy the overworld game and its story Oh, the other thing about the dungeons is, is the dungeons rarely have any story. Like, they'll have a little bit of the game within the game story, but they won't have any of the metagame story really at all. Yeah. You'll, you might have somebody message you and say, hey, how far have you gotten? But that's it. Like, there's no really big breaks with the metagame story. So you don't have any of the story that I like, because the metagame story is the one I'm more interested in. You don't have... The combat's not flowy. It's kind of stop and go a lot. And then you've got the big boss fights. And all of your flipping jump puzzles are timed, sometimes in ways that are extremely obnoxious. And then, just to top it all off, my favorite part is, for a long time, people were complaining about how difficult this was. And the makers of the game were steadfast in saying, no, 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 it's, no we're not going to change it. It's, it's supposed to be difficult. We're not going to change it. Eventually, they were convinced to change the speeds of the puzzles because folks were saying, look, I really like your game and I like the idea of your game, but I have Parkinson's and it's really, really hard to move that quickly. Like, it's impossible. Could you please slow the game down? So ostensibly, on behalf of people who were having you know a rough time moving, they gave you a slider so you could slow the puzzles down. But what I hate is you get to the menu screen that is supposed to tell you it's supposed to allow you to turn down the difficulty and it says at the beginning this game was designed with difficulty in mind but if you can't play it when it's difficult i can't remember exactly what the wording is but it comes across as super passive aggressive like this game was designed to be difficult but if you can't hack it or if you're like i don't know disabled for any aspiring devs out there <laughs> if you are designing a game to be difficult you are designing a game wrong yes if you're designing a game to be fun that's the thing that pissed me off, though, is that the passive-aggressive tone, that it was condescending. Like, you're doing this, ostensibly you're doing this to help people who are having a hard time moving to begin with. Yeah. And to start by telling them, this game was not designed for you, but I guess I'll ruin my perfect game so that you can play it. Oh, no. That's just a bad look. The game's still fantastic, but whoever wrote that message needs to be slapped. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that the game is broken not because the game is perfect and we're all broken. The game is broken because a lot of these players are probably getting into the game really enjoying the, the regular map combat, which is much easier to cope with. And they're probably enjoying the exploration jumping puzzles because they're really slow paced and you can do them even if you have motor skill problems. Like it's not that big of a deal. 
most animals, most monsters on the on the surface maps won't attack you on sight. You can get around them if you need to. Like, there's a million ways to, to get away from combat. You can't do any of this in the dungeons. The reason why people are complaining is because they're starting to play the game and really enjoying it, and they're getting to the dungeons, and they're effing impossible mm-hmm. for folks who have any sort of motor skill problems or people like me who tend to get extremely frustrated when I can't get a timing puzzle correct. Like, I do like difficult platformers. I've played Celeste. Celeste is one of my favorite games. Um, I've played Slain. I've played a lot of games that are very difficult platform 2D games, but... There's also a real disconnect in the way that the game presents progression because the game wants you to go to the next town. Yeah. And there's side quests you can do, and you can do random encounters, and you can collect all of the data. There's a whole bunch of stuff to do, but the game doesn't say to do it. The only time that it ever becomes, hey, you need to do this, is when you're locked in a dungeon and you're extremely (laughs) underleveled. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's funny that I'm, like, raining on this game because I love it and I still would recommend it, even with these problems. Look, just go to that passive-aggressive message and just turn the speed down and the game's very doable. For the price that CrossCode is asking, you probably can say this is enough of a work of art to just justify buying it to support the developer because like the the technical side of producing a game with that style of art and that much of a story oh the art many different mechanics and the music's amazing yeah it's extremely and the writing put together i just actively disagree with their design decisions yeah there's and there's a few other ones that we could also bring up um that, that, that bother Cedric more than they bother me. And they they tend to have to do with kind of our difference in play style because I tend to be an in-your-face sort of player. And a lot of the fighting mechanics in uh, CrossCode are, are designed around the idea of in-your-face attack. I mean, you have an ability to shoot a thing from a distance, but it's still very offensive. Like, you're still going after the, the enemies, whereas they uh, supposedly have blocking mechanics and parry mechanics, but they don't... You can't really build for them very easily in their... So the block has a problem where it is extremely stat-based. So you have a blocking number. Mm-hmm. And if an enemy has a higher attack value than the block number, you don't get knocked out of the block. It just deals chip damage. A lot. Yeah. So if you have the best level up stats for blocking Mm -hmm. you will still take 75% of the damage from blocking an attack which doesn't really feel like a block (laughs) it really doesn't Um, you need to have if armor I was that wearing, is specialized if I was, towards the block, but then the problem is that yeah. you can't upgrade the armor that you have, so you're dependent on getting the armor of that next zone. Yeah. Which then also becomes a problem because not every armor is geared towards block, and you don't have options when you get to a new zone. There's yeah. a best piece of armor. Yep, I agree. Um, Which is problematic. Like like I said, for me, it, it wasn't that big of an effect because I don't like that play style and don't really engage with it. We found that with Ender Lilies when I was trying to yeah. play Ender Lilies and I kept playing it wrong. But for folks who are interested in block mechanics, and this is, I think, what our conclusion was when we were talking about it, is uh, you know, if you're not going to really do it right, don't include it. Because if you include it, if you tell yourself, and this is, again, just like, unsolicited advice for game developers. If you include a mechanic, people are going to assume the reason it is there is so that they can use it. So if you show them, I mean, crazy, huh? Right? Like you included a mechanic and people are like, oh, I guess I should play with that mechanic since it's there. Yeah, like if 
somebody really likes that mechanic and you've included it, but you just put it in there because, oh, why, why not? We'll throw it in there and, and it'll be fine. Uh, if you haven't developed it well, then people aren't going to enjoy it. So just don't have it. If you're not going to take the time to do it correctly, then just skip out on it so that at least people who come into this game who like those block and parry mechanics, at least if they come into this game, they know, oh, this game doesn't really do that. So either I don't play it or I just play it the way that it was designed. One of the two, right? Yeah. Yeah. What? This one? Oh, there's a light hitting Cedric straight in the face. I could probably... Sorry, folks, as we're really quickly having some... I meant to ask about it during the break, but I... Oh, well, there we go. Now the lights are off. It's great. Yeah. Except for the window, which is plenty bright enough. Anyway, um... But, but yeah, uh, and then the parry has similar problems because there's animations for when the enemies are starting to attack, yes. Mm. But it doesn't feel like they understood why you need those types of animations because there's no difference between the starting frame, the middle frames, and the end frames of that animation. So mm. it's just an enemy poised to attack with no indication of how long until they attack. I'm sure you can memorize it to a certain point, but yeah. it, there's no well, Because parry is around timing. Like yeah. You have to hit the parry button at the correct time. So if you have no way to count down... It's kind of like, like you see the same thing. This is gonna be an odd comparison, but like um, uh, drag racing actually has this problem because a lot of folks like they'll they'll go up to a drag racing light because it goes top lights and then it goes yellow yellow go really quickly. And they've I remember watching a competition between somebody who'd never really seen one of these before and somebody who did it professionally. And the person who was trying to hit the button as fast as they could when the green light came on. Um, was pretty much losing every freaking time by several hundredths of a second. Why? Yeah. Because there's an actual cadence to the lights. And the person who was a professional drag racer knew this is the timing. So they're not actually hitting it in reaction to the last light. They're hitting it knowing when the last light is going to light. Mm -hmm. And they were often within like a hundredth of a second, if not dead on. Yeah. And the same thing is true when you're talking about parry mechanics. If you don't know when that frame is coming up, if you can't time out based on other parts of the animation when that parry is supposed to happen, you can't do it right because you never know when it's going to be, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Problematic. Small and, problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so it's just one of those things where it's like they felt, I felt like they knew all the parts of a parry system, mm -hmm. but they didn't quite understand the importance of each of them. Yeah. No, I'd kind of agree with that. It's unfortunate. But all of that said, go play the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to Cedric. Listen to Jay. Go go play Crosscode. It's a fun game. Just, you know, only play it if you're way into, like, super upfront attack and you're willing to put up with dungeons that are a little bit, eh, sometimes, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty much all the stuff we'd plan on covering. Well, we should we should put, like, a... I mean, I still got more complaints on Crosscode if you want to keep... <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> we're, we're over two hours. What we need is a... We need a, we need a... we need a joke at the end or something. So we can use this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> a joke huh? I feel like we need to have something snappy to end the podcast with so people are like oh we're at the end we're not just going to peter off into the sunset we're going to do a thing yeah I think <laughs> I have a joke about chemistry but nah. <laughs> we'll figure something out 
What what games do you think you're gonna play? That's a that's a joke. Well, thank you. Um, oh, I Corona Fox says she downloaded two fart sounds from Splice. That is a joke. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no. Oh boy. Um, what are you gonna play this week? Do you have an idea? Uh, probably more Genshin. Ooh, Genshin. Dark Souls Three is scheduled for next weekend. Uh, not this weekend though. They're, they're taking this weekend off, so no mm. hunting. Mm. Um, and then. Not uh, video game related, but I think I might be joining a D&D campaign soon. That might be fun. Oh, you're, you're out to destroy another D&D campaign, huh? Yep, another <laughs> one. Isn't that what you I do every time? I found out that 5e had a class called Echo Knight. And really? That, that is a class and a half. I, I'm hoping I get to use it because it looks really annoying to deal with. Echo Knight, huh? Chronofox is saying, the real question for Sedgwick is, do you have a preferred waifu? Because that's what Genshin folks talk about, I've heard. I don't, um, I don't know anything about this, so you're going to have to tell me. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no. It, it, no is the answer to that it's question. It's mostly because the character that I've been using the most is mm. not one that is waifu appropriate. Oh, I so see. So Genshin has a lot of anime problems. <laughs> Uh, one of them being is that half of their adult women characters are just horrying on main because apparently the developers liked listening to that. So interesting. That's a problem. Uh, and I avoid those characters. Uh, and then the other half of the problem is that they put in a bunch of very small girls because they think they're cute, which like sure they're three cute. feet, three and a half feet. Yeah. Oh yeah. For reals. Yeah. So they've got Lollafells. That's cool. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> Except they're explicitly by the story underage. Oh, like, well. Well, we're not going to go into how gross that is. Chronofox is over there being like, I mean, they huh. don't... It's not gross <laughs> in the sense of like they're dressed oh, up no. to be sexy or anything. It's just... <laughs> it's an interesting choice for dynamic. Yeah. Um, but the character that I'm using right now is one of those short ones, but she has... Um, the best movement ability in the game yeah, I've seen so far, there and there's go. a lot of walking in Genshin. <laughs> well, that's been be able to go quickly would be great. So Sardane's pointing out that they're playing a Golem Armor Artificer in their current D and D game, and that's been a riot. That's good to hear. Do you just like build auto cannons and attach them to yourself? It feels like a thing to do. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. So for myself, this next week, I can guarantee I'll be playing Elite Dangerous because yeah. <laughs> I play that a lot. Um, I keep thinking I need to grab another space game, but I really, I kind of just need to keep going with uh, CrossCode until it's done, I think. Mm. I do have, uh, I'm going to be playing, is it, what's it, Mesopotamia? No, it's, is it Samaria? Anyway, it's a city builder that Serdane has. Uh, Sumerians? Uh, Sumerians, I think. That it's one that Serdane, one of my Twitch viewers, is having me play. Because Serdane, for some reason, watched me long enough to gather enough channel points to get me to play a game. The only other person who's done that, of course, is Sechik, <laughs> who's also around a lot. Um, but yeah, so I'll be playing that it's this like week. Twitch channel points reward people that hang around anyways. Yeah, it's interesting. I should have a lot of channel points on my channel, but I don't. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. You know, I can do whatever I want. But uh, yeah, so I'll probably be playing that on, on this coming Tuesday. But uh, maybe I'll have something to talk about it next week because I do love a good city builder. I've definitely been doing a lot more sci-fi games lately, and that trend is probably going to continue. Um, yeah. but we'll have to see what else I can get a hold of along those lines. So, but yeah, I think that can be our snappy finishing section. We can say, what are you going to play this week? And we won't go into great detail. We'll just say, 
Good luck with that. Well, <laughs> it's short for us. Short for us. Anyway, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty much gonna be gonna be it for us. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoyed the. That was louder than I meant for it to be. Hopefully you enjoyed, and uh, hopefully we will catch you on the next podcast. And until then, uh, I hope you have a good whatever happens to be for you. So, later.